OTB AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Half past seven on this Tuesday morning. You're welcome along to OTB AM. It's Owen and Ashling with you right the way through until 10 o'clock this morning. And it is another massive day for the Republic of Ireland football teams. We've got the under-21s, we've got the seniors in action. We'll have plenty of build-up on the show over the next couple of hours for those games. We'll also be looking ahead to All-Ireland quarter-finals weekend in the hurling. No better man than Tommy Welsh to help us do that, so he'll be with us a little bit later on. And we'll also be speaking to Tyrone's Niall Morgan to reflect on their season over the last couple of months. There's also some Formula 1 coming your way with Shane Hannon in a little while, so we've got plenty coming your way between now and 10. We'd love to hear your thoughts if you want to drop us a tweet at Off The Ball or you can leave a YouTube comment as well if that's where you're getting us. Ashling, a very good morning to you. How are you getting on? Good morning, Owen. All good now. Not too bad. How are you? Very well. You were one of the lucky ones. They were uh, discussing it on the show last night about this attendance figure at Croke Park on Saturday. How many people really went through the turnstiles because it seemed to be a figure that they weren't... uh, they were publicising too much. It didn't look like a lot, but uh, Cullum Keys in the Irish Independent this morning has the exact figure. Uh, we should get a drum roll for this. The, <laughs> the exact figure for the Crow Park doubleheader on Saturday was 16,425 and you were one of those 16,400. Well, they don't count in the media, so maybe a little bit more than that. There's a few more then. Um, I'm not surprised by that figure. That's extremely low, but I'm really not surprised at all. I was in for the boat games and I got in there early enough, maybe an hour and a half before the first game. And even driving in, I was I was thinking to myself, is there even any games on? Like, there was nobody about. Nice. You know, you've, you've seen the few fans trickling in, but nothing major to think of a double header, qualifiers, you know, massive occasion in our game. Like, in the GA games, this is one of the, you know, the biggest games as you're coming up into the semi-finals, finals, all of that. So you're, you're thinking, these are massive games. And there was not many fans around at all. Not really much of a buzz. And I got parked grand uh, and in I went. And even when the teams first ran out, I think Claire ran out first and it was almost like a dead silence. They obviously played the played the music out over the speakers. Um, so that obviously helped. But, yeah. you know, there there was, it looked like nobody whatsoever. Obviously, I can't see down into the Hogan stand too clear where you are in the, in the media box. But it, it just looked so empty, really dead. And I just thought to myself, this is this is crazy. This is crazy. This game is here. Mm. Like these lads running out into this massive occasion and it just felt like so underwhelming. Um, it was the same then for when Russ Common came out and even Mossy Quinn was alongside me and he got in a little bit later. He was a bit panicked getting there just a little bit later than he wanted to. And he said, geez, I got parked on Clonlin Road. Like no butter. Right. I was like, what? Like normally that's closed off. Didn't even yeah. need to be closed off and he got parked. Yeah. So that really just shows so you. So they actually knew that it wasn't going to be a big yeah, deal really. The, they, the, the they preparations had an idea. Worse. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it, it was it was just yes, it's sad to see because they're that's one of our biggest games, isn't it? Like it really, you know, within the game that that is one of the should be the biggest games we should be so excited about. And when I heard the games were in Crow Park, I was really not that excited for the games because I knew exactly what it was going to be like and it was. Yeah. Do you prefer working at games that are like down the country and provincial grounds like compared to that sort of cavernous thing? I love when the games aren't yeah. in Crow Park. Like obviously I love getting into Crow Park. It's it's brilliant. You know, when the atmosphere is full and, you know, semi-finals, All-Ireland's amazing. You know, it really is amazing. Like I'm not dissing Crow Park, but just personally when you get to the likes of Clonus or the Athletic Grounds like there's nothing beats that buzz yeah and you definitely the players have to feed off that and even in the boat in both games in the doubleheader at the weekend 
they were both bad starts. Like the balls were dropping short, there was misplaced passes, it was just no intensity, it was just going through the motions. And I was like, if this was, you know, in a smaller ground, you definitely would feed off the crowd. And I think, you know, you would have got probably a, a better, it was a great game uh, to, towards <coughs> the end in both games, but I think a full game of like both halves being full intensity. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because I, I was like making the point in the show yesterday that as a television spectacle, I didn't think it was bad because I just am so used to turning on football games and they being pretty bad. And it's just, <laughs> it's just like in terms of uh, like a competitive imbalance in a lot of the provincial games. And this was like, you, you talk about it as like one of the, the bigger games of the season. Like this, for me, it felt like weekend one of the football championship. And I guess you had this kind of cloud over it that maybe it wasn't utilised in the best way possible. And mm-hmm. I guess even from a commercial standpoint, do you get more than 16,000 people if it's at a ground that's closer to the western seaboard? Like, I mean, you, you possibly do. I'd say you probably oh, do. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd say, like, I'm, I mean, we've, we've made this point as well that there is obviously commitments to, to people who've got premium level tickets and all that in, in Croke Park. But to, to play round four, well, sorry, round two qualifiers as it was in, in, in this year's mm-hmm. situation, it's probably a bit of a stretch for that stadium. Like, and Mick was making the point last night that you have this iconic late score from Clare to win the game against Roscommon and it's into an empty stand with advertising there. I hadn't really thought about it that way either. That even from a television yeah. standpoint, that does kind of ruin it. So I'd kind of like taken the Croke Park thing and compartmentalised it and I was like, well, this conclusion to Clare Roscommon is amazing and this Mayo-Kildare game may not be unbelievable quality-wise, but it's chaotic and brilliant mm. and I'd kind of parked all that. But the more I've kind of like listened to people who are there talk about it a little bit more, I'm like, God, this could have been so much better. We really could be on, on a high right now. Yeah. Kind of like, um, kind of like the hurling folk are on a high after a good day in Thurlis or something like that. Yeah, like, because I'm coming off the back of Clonus for, you yeah. know, the Ulster final and obviously seeing those scenes and then you, you look at the qualifiers, which should be massive games for Clare, like first time hoping to get their win. And I don't know, we were trying to figure it out. I think prior to 92, it was 75 years prior to 92 that they had got their, their first win. It should be such a big occasion. Yeah. And obviously you have the problem at the minute with hotel rooms, hotel prices, all of that comes down to it as well. People aren't travelling for that reason. You've even diesel, petrol prices, all these things that people are like, I can't do it. You know, all of these things do feed into it. And... It, there were great finishes to the game, um, even in the Mayo game, the the goal at the end. You know, there were, there was great moments in the game, but I just feel if we were elsewhere, closer to maybe, as you said, the Western area, that yeah. it might have been, you know, better games, better atmosphere. And you'd walk away thinking, like if this was a different sport and we were in the qualifiers, uh, AFL, like would we see this amount of people at the, at, like, at the games? Mm. Like I feel like no chance. But I just feel it was it was just done wrong. Yeah, it's it's interesting because also in that piece in the Independent this morning, it says uh, it is understood that tentative discussions were had to explore if Dublin and Cork would enter a home and away agreement with Parky Cueve hosting their All Ireland quarter final. However, agreement could not be reached as Parnell Park is considered Dublin's home venue, and consequently would be deemed unsuitable for a championship match involving Dublin. <laughs> is it we though? Not, we not just accept at this point that like Croke Park can masquerade as Dublin's home venue. If you, if you want to say it's pretending it's like catfishing us and pretending that it's uh, Dublin's home venue, we can all get over it. Yeah. But like it is. That's what it is. That's what Croke Park is. It's interesting that that was uh, looked into though, that Dublin Cork could potentially enter that home and away agreement. That 
playing these games in Crow Park is not a hard and fast thing that the GEA have. But they were willing to make an exception, or it seemed anyway, for Cork because they've got a, a massive stadium as well. I just don't understand why they can't make a, an exception for all the other fixtures as well. Why does it have to be the two biggest population bases that they make the exception for? Like, is Clare Ross Common not a fixture as worthy yeah. of, of having the best venue possible as Cork versus Dublin is? Of course it is, yeah. I think after this now and hearing that there's 16,000 odd fans, like they have to look at it. They have to see it. it's not working. You do have to look at it, the side of the players as well. I, I chatted to Jer about this last week and, you know, it is a big moment for the players, especially for the, the Clare players to go out on Crow Park. So I get that too. I do. And we have to think of the players, obviously. But would they rather of of won that game by a point in the way they won it in a packed out stadium elsewhere that it was full full of atmosphere I'm sure mm. they would have I but Ross Common got lulled into a false sense of security because Crow Park was so quiet and ultimately that's what <laughs> allowed Clare to, to come in and get their famous win got a great question for you from Connor McMahon who's been in touch who has the best chance of doing the double Clare Cork or Galway oh oh I mean that's uh, with Clare at the minute it's brilliant to see isn't it Jeez. Yeah. You put Claire ahead of Galway in terms of doing the double? E- Hold on a minute. Jeez, I need to think. Um, it's Galway, isn't it? It's f- uh, Football-wise, I wouldn't fully be back in Galway, um, to be would, honest. Would you be back in Yarmouth against them the next day? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Would you? Probably would, to be honest. But I, I would be more... Uh, uncertain about that than it would be about the Clare Derry game um, for example I think that Derry, oh, right. Derry will beat Clare not, yeah. not 100% sure of that I think that's the, the, the Ulster final I think they would have been on such a high but I think they'll be Clare in that I think Cork, so and we're, we're, we're just concluding here that Cork at least likely that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what we want to do that's what the, it's the, between Clare and Galway that's what Connor wants us to say this morning Cork the least likely of those three that's a hard double. one but it's great to see Galway like or sorry Clare in, in both you know hurling and football now doing so well you know, it's great to see, but that, that is a tough question. Uh, Dave Cos says, I hope the GA lost bank by holding that uh, disgraceful double header. Like, I think it maybe opens up a conversation, not just on those qualifiers, but also on quarterfinal weekend. And I think that is a, a genuine debate. Mm-hmm. I can absolutely see why people say last date, Croke Park. I'd like to see it just tried out one year. What would happen if quarterfinal weekend took place somewhere else? Now, um, next year, you'll obviously have a new situation where you'll have seeds going into the knockout stages from a group's from groups in the, the new format for the All-Ireland Championship so I think there'll be a lot more home advantage or yeah. at least I hope that's what's implemented next year so, so maybe next year this, it, it is sorted out a little bit but if we ever go back to like an All-Ireland quarter-final scenario what would that look like in a place not called Crow Park I think that'd look great as 2001 showed us uh, in Thurles for that for that replay between uh, for the, the double header I should say between Kerry and uh, and Dublin um, right we've got plenty more to get into over the next little while OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day as you can see plenty coming up over the next little while Formula 1 latest with Shane in just a few minutes Tommy Welch will be with us at 10 past 8 to look ahead to those All-Ireland hurling quarterfinals the sports news with John Duggan coming your way at 25 to 9 then Niall Morgan of Tyrone will be with us at 10 to 9. Phil Egan looking ahead to tonight's game in Poland against Ukraine and Dion Fanning on last night's show at half past nine. Just one other thing we wanted to touch on this morning, Ashling, is the constant drumbeat of players leaving Ireland to go to Australia, uh, particularly the AFLW over the last little while has kind of ratcheted up over the last few weeks. Pre-season starts this month in Australia. That has been 
a real not a point of contention, but it's been a point. Uh, it's it's I'd say it's had red flags waving in a few counties that all of a sudden the AFLW season and the GEA season, the LGFA season overlap significantly. What you have now is uh, Orla Lally of Meath, who's going to be the second Meath player, isn't it? After yeah, Vicky Wall to go down to Australia, that's not going to have an impact on me obviously this season. But it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next little while. So they're not going to depart. Wall and Lally are both going to stay until their championship campaign is at an end but they have been working with an AFLW skills coach and they've been doing bits on the side it's just really interesting to see how this will develop over the next little while because there's a a, a bit of a choice that's going to have to be taken just like the men had to take uh, from the very start when this thing came in uh, and and that's going to be on the table for a lot of these players it seems yeah, it's great that the two girls get to wait until after the championship because that hasn't been the case for a lot of the girls that are going out to play. And um, the likes of Eric O'Shea, you know, they they are all heading out a lot earlier, so it's great in that sense. But um, yeah, hearing the news this morning about Orla Lally, I said, "Whoa, that that's such a blow now for me to have two really influential players, you know, to to lose them to to your squad." So I'm sure that the Mead management, the Mead girls are, are yeah devastated that they're losing them, but at the same time, really positive for the girls. Look to get a chance to to play in a professional setup, you know, is just something that we didn't dream of happening, you know, a few years ago. And it's great to see those opportunities for women's players nowadays. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see because I think it's only growing more and more. The game's getting bigger and bigger each year out there. So I think there's going to be a lot more players that will go. Hopefully, they they can sort out maybe the schedule and it's only coming in this year as you said that it's it's a lot earlier so yeah I think it will have an effect probably the as the years go on if it sticks to that scheduling yeah. because I think it's an exception this year that Vicky and Orla are going out maybe that bit later I don't know if that's going to be the so. case yeah. it certainly seems to me that if you're in a professional environment and you've been given uh, a little bit of uh, you know your, your arrival has been postponed mm-hmm. and you're in that professional environment I think next year if a team wants to achieve better things than they did this year they'll be like okay everybody needs to be back by such and such a time and all yeah. of a sudden then the, the LGFA might have a bit of a problem on their hands with players significant players leaving earlier I think so like the likes of Collingwood like I was just seeing a few things online yesterday they're back full, full into their pre-season training and obviously you get to Australia you have to you know adapt to it all so it takes a little bit of time so for sure I think Larry players are going to go out probably even earlier next year um, I think actually that they hadn't came up with the schedule for it. everyone was waiting for quite a time to see when it was actually going to be so that's actually why a lot of the players even went out later so I think it could be even sooner next year um, but yeah it, it's a massive blow even our uh, club championship draw was done last night and um, I think there's a lot of people that are here and the likes of Orla Lally and that are going to Australia and are going to be pretty happy right. now <laughs> yeah I can imagine just because she's such a phenomenal player like unbelievable so when you see her at club level too she's just yeah amazing uh, the same with Vicky Wall but a great opportunity for them but uh, such a massive loss and I think as a whole within the game we'll probably will see more and more players come out go out but uh, hopefully they return too and you know they, they're they even better when they come back from that professional environment I suppose that's all you can really hope for Yeah I wonder what uh, Eamon Murray has to say about uh, another player going to, to watch the, the sport with no skill at all he, yeah. was, he wasn't overly impressed at Monaghan at the weekend just re- reading some of his quotes um, Meath conceded one point at the weekend uh, which I think probably illustrates how good Meath are defensively as well as an attack but also I think about Monaghan's ambition at least if you're looking at Eamon Murray's 
comments. He said Monaghan had 15 players behind the ball and only for Stacey on the freeze. It was awful to watch. Uh, and that was uh, him putting the boot in on uh, on Monaghan and their kind of uh, approach to the game at the weekend. Mm-hmm. Like this could obviously next season be something that disrupts Meath, but this year, I know Dublin are back and angrier than ever, but do you still make them favourites for this year's All-Ireland? It's a tough one this year now because you, you see Dublin, you see the players that they, they have coming into the squad. The likes of Carla Rowe didn't even play in that Leinster final. So when I seen her in her tracksuit on the sideline and then Mead were pretty much at full squad, I'm trying to think. Pretty much, yeah. So, you know, you see the likes of her, the influence she has um, and she wasn't even playing. So, yeah, they, it's, it's a tough one. As you said, they're definitely back angrier than ever. And I think Mick Bowen was sort of caught on the hop a little bit last year in that he, not he hadn't did his homework, but remember that press conference before the All-Ireland final last year and he sort of had mentioned that, you know, he did know a lot of the players and I don't think he fully knew a lot about Mead. Maybe, obviously he hadn't played against them, so he, you know, he didn't know what to expect. And yeah, um, so I think he's a lot more prepared this year, but you'd never write Mead off. Like they're a phenomenal team. They're so exciting, so en- enjoyable to watch them. Yeah. Like I love the way they play. It really is so enjoyable. Um, but it's great to see that rivalry. Like it's, yeah, we really needed it in Mead football as well, just to have that, even that Leinster rivalry. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's touch and go between them them two. Donegal are doing well this year as well. They have a few players back. Um, so they'll be up there, thereabouts. Armagh are doing well. But uh, yeah, I do think it'll be back between Mead and Dublin once again. Yeah, it's a hell of a rivalry that seems to be developing there. Even on a, It's got the potential to get to that Dublin-Cork level over the last couple of years with the, the players that we're seeing on, on both sides. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how that develops over the next couple of years as well. If this AFLW thing becomes more stringent in terms of players coming out earlier and these players are getting a taste of combining both sports so it's in many ways even more appetising for them than some of the men who turn it down without ha- having ever gone over there to sample it a lot of these women have gone down there to sample it and it's like this is pretty good yeah. and as Patrick McHugh says who's been in touch on the YouTube comments I live in Perth and watch AFL I totally support Irish sports people coming out there and making a career for themselves everything about it is excellent apart from the homesickness obviously and you can just see that in the players who are going down there succeeding loving their life and staying down there so uh, yeah we'll keep an eye on that over the next little while it is uh, 7.48 OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day Shane Hannan a very good morning to you how are you getting on? Good morning guys how are things? Yeah very well uh, we didn't really touch on the Formula 1 at all over the last couple of days it was a busy sports weekend uh, it, we are in the middle of uh, Baku and Canada week so give us a top line from Baku first of all yeah, top line from Baku. It's hard to believe, actually, we're, we're just over one-third of the way through the season now, so it's kind of flown by the first eight races, uh, it has to be said. But, um, yeah, a lot of excitement in Baku, and I guess the top line is, is Max Verstappen. Um, a familiar top line, and we're used to him being kind of that side of the grid, but um, he had a very, very good day all round. Like, when you think about the, the leaderboards after, I think it was Australia, after race three, uh, like, Charles Leclerc had, had such a commanding lead, um, over over the rest of the field and you're starting to think this is Ferrari's year uh Leclerc is doing well Carlos Sainz is is an excellent number two driver for Ferrari as well like he was 46 points ahead um was Charles Leclerc over Verstappen after that Australian Grand Prix he's now slipped to 34 points adrift of Max so that's an average loss of, of 16 points per race since that Australian Grand Prix so all of a sudden you, you just kind of see how quickly Formula One can turn on its head and the lead can can slip to someone else but yeah I mean, Max Max had a fairly good weekend. 
his pace was, was was so strong in fact in Baku at the weekend on Sunday guys that the the team radio were basically telling him to to slow down and decrease his pace um to, to kind of save save wear and tear on the car and on the tires as well he did oblige and he did slow down but his his lead still increased over over his teammate Sergio Perez uh, to eventually win the race by by more than 20 seconds so kind of shows how dominant he is he's now won five of of the eight races so far this season and and if we're being honest um, as much as we want a, a, a drivers' championship battle like we had last year, he looks the far superior driver at the minute in the uh, the far superior car. Yeah, like that's the thing. Is there a sense that maybe at the start of the season the Ferrari brand was kind of front and centre, and people were like, right, we're harking back to, to to the great old days of Formula One here, where they will be contending, and absolutely, there's every chance that Leclerc will be in the winners' enclosure at the end of this whole season. Was was, was there a little bit of that, Shane? And maybe people didn't realise just how much Red Bull had to get their act together and how quickly they were capable of doing that. Yeah, there was. The, the, I guess there was a little bit of that. There was a little bit of the the nostalgia, the seeing the red livery on the car, the prancing horse. Everyone got a bit uh, excited seeing a Ferrari car all of a sudden back competing again for for races and for you would hope championships as well to make it a little bit more interesting. But um, and and that's not to say that that Red Bull haven't had their issues. Like Max hasn't been been too happy with the, over, some of the oversteering on his car, which has kind of taken some of the pace away from him. But uh, and then he's had that battle with Sergio Perez, which you can turn into a positive or a negative. They had uh, you know issues in in Spain that that Connor Mur- Connor sketches uh, mm. so effortlessly turned into a turned into a meme where Perez basically has to let Max through um, and doesn't like doing that. You know there, there's they are teammates at the end of the day, but that's the joy of Formula One that they're also number one rivals. That the guy you're you're, you're in the same car as is the person you want to to, to uh, impress against the most. But the, yeah, the Ferrari thing is is. Fascinating because, as I, as I said, that that start to the season, you're thinking, yeah, this is this is Charles Leclerc's year. Uh, the thing I'd be worried about, uh, guys, with 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 them uh, and with Charles Leclerc particularly, he's had six poles. So of the six or the eight races this this year, he's been on pole position after qualifying six times. He's only converted two of those into wins. So seems to be an excellent driver on the Saturday in qualifying, and then whatever happens on the Sunday, um, it just goes to pot really uh, as soon as the race happens whether it's Red Bull's race strategy um, whether it's these Ferrari uh, power unit and engine problems that seem to have kicked in it's hard to know what, what the issue is like you look at Baku at the weekend and you know Leclerc retiring from the race after 20 laps a power unit related issue Carlos Sainz in the same car had to retire 11 laps earlier um, and that seemed to be a hydraulics issue in the car but it's not just those Ferrari cars uh, Ferrari also work on the the engines and provide the engines for some other teams. Uh, Kevin Magnussen's Haas being one of them, which suffered an engine-related issue on on Sunday as well. And then the Alfa Romeo of Zhou Guan Yu also had issues on Sunday. And again, that's a Ferrari-provided engine. So all of a sudden, you're looking at the power units of Ferrari and thinking something's not quite right there. A C- couple of uh, comments to put to you, Shane. Ricky Lowe says Max opted for a race setup instead of a qualifying setup. Looking back at it now, it was a brilliant plan. And then John Claffey kind of touches on a theme that's definitely been spoken about over the last little while. He says, it's such a Formula One thing to do after such a brilliant year last year. They changed the rules for the cars and now Max is going to run away with it. There won't be a championship for the last eight races. Is that on the money or or, or are we kind of maybe overlooking maybe the way Mercedes have shot themselves in the foot a little bit themselves this season? Or or can they just blame that on on the new setup and the, the new regulations this year? 
like to an extent they can they can certainly blame the regulations but um and you look at you know when things are going wrong it's very easy to look at the, at the regulation changes and say okay yeah you know that's that's not really gone our way um like some of the great quotes from from Christian Christian Horner even after the weekend he's talking about the fact that Mercedes are complaining about these poor poising issues on the car um other teams maybe aren't complaining as much. Certainly, Red Bull aren't complaining as much because they're clearly dealing with it. But certainly, you have to look at the rule regulation changes. Like they have a difficult job, the FIA every year. We, I mean, the the issues with the with the final race last year and and Lewis and Max's battle and what should and should not have been done in, in letting letting uh, Max pass the cars in front of him. Like like they 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 really can't win the FIA. But yes, yeah, certainly the rule changes this year seem to have. Uh, gone in the favour of Red Bull, and, and for the early part of the season, uh, Ferrari clearly and their power, power unit was was something that was actually working working quite well. That's the funny thing now because Red Bull were asked about these um, stricken Ferrari cars after the race on on Sunday, and Verstappen emphasised with with Charles Leclerc and said, "Look, he had a similar pattern of of, of engine problems in the first three races of the season, <laughs> but his quote was, shit happens. That's racing.' So uh, he didn't have." Um, a magnitude of of sympathy for for his um, his Ferrari teammate or his Ferrari uh, colleagues, as you would imagine. So yeah, look, the the commenters are quite right. The, the the rule changes have certainly gone in in some particular teams' favours. But as we've seen with the swing since race three to the to the leaderboard now, anything can happen. So it's not all over yet. Yeah, I'd seen that uh, Red Bull, they were suspicious about Mercedes, that they're making a bigger issue out of it. And Lewis Hamilton, he actually looked to be struggling to get out of his car at the end of the race. Like that, that is, and, and actually that's a fair point, because, because to see a, a Formula One driver getting out of the car in, in the way in which, like Lewis Hamilton is a man who loves a little bit of, uh, a little bit of drama, potentially anyway, but it's hard not to, to feel sympathy for him when you, see, when you see him getting out of the car like an old man. Um, after the race in Baku and like a lot of kind of Formula One fans laughing online saying oh, would you look at the look at the head of him getting out of that car but it's a serious issue because um, this poor poising I mean you talk about the, the dangers of, of mini concussions in, in sports like the NFL like Pierre Gasly I think was, was talking about the fact that he's concerned about these drivers being having to use walking sticks by the time they're in their in their early to mid thirties, because of because of these issues, um, and this poor poising issue for like for anyone who isn't familiar, it's essentially aerodynamic issues that sees these cars bounce at the high speeds. So you can you, a lot of people will have seen it on the straights. You kind of have those wonderful slow mo videos online during the races and during qualifying where you can quite clearly see the cars bouncing. Um, and you're you're dead right, Ashley. Like Mercedes have been the team that have quite clearly struggled with that the most. Um, George Russell is, is part of the, the Grand Prix drivers uh, directorate as well. And he's talked about it from a safety perspective. He's actually been one of the most um, vocal voices talking about how dangerous it is. Um, and really, when you see people like, like like Lewis Hamilton struggling, and look, it, it has been it, it has been getting worse. Like Toto Wolff, I'm just seeing a quote here in front of me from Toto Wolff after the race on um, on Sunday. And he's saying, Lewis is really bad. You can see this is not muscular anymore. It goes properly into the spine and it can have some consequence. The solution could be to have someone in reserve, which we anyway have at every race. He was talking about Lewis Hamilton potentially not taking part in the Canadian Grand Prix in Montreal. Uh, that's how bad his back problems were. And having drivers ready to go, and Stoffel van Dorn, I think, and Nick de Vries are their two reserve drivers. Um, 
but yeah, the, this pole pushing issue seemed to bleed into the rest of the, the, the driver's um, grid after Sunday. So clearly it's an issue that's not going away. And why, if sorry, if for people that don't know, why is it worse for some cars than others? Like if some cars just getting it right? Yeah, well, this is the thing. Dri- uh, car, like, and this is why like, some teams and, and um, uh, team principals maybe don't have sympathy for, for Mercedes. Um, so this this effort to get pole boxing right, uh, brought out of the sport, there's a certain level at which cars can, can um, be off the road uh, in terms of the, the chassis touching the track underneath. Mercedes is is quite low, uh, even in comparison to Red Bull. So they're they're essentially sacrificing a little. You know, they could bring the car a little bit higher, which would make the pole pointing a little a little less dramatic. But that would sacrifice uh, team performance. Now that this is what Christian Horner is saying, he's saying Mercedes can't really complain because when the when they are capable of lifting the car even ever so slightly and making it um, a little bit safer for their drivers. Then they can't really complain. Like he he's talking about these these calls for a rule change for Mercedes, uh, and saying they're only causing a scene because their car has been so troublesome. He's saying the easiest thing is to raise a car. He was he was talking about uh, you should never run a car that's unsafe, and he says that's more for the FIA's technical guys. There are certain cars that have more serious issues. Mercedes being being two of them, um, and he thinks it's unfair to penalise the cars that have done a decent job with these pole pushing regulations versus the ones that have maybe missed the target. And he's talking about Mercedes there. Uh, but if you look at it, like Daniel Ricciardo is another driver who had who had these issues on um, at the weekend. And he was talking about the general health. He said he never really understood all the, the drama behind uh, Mercedes complaints about pole pushing uh, in the previous few races. But after, after Sunday, you saw da- uh, Daniel Ricciardo bouncing around in his McLaren car as well. He says it's got worse and worse, and he sympathises now with everyone. He said after the race he felt rattled. Um, not good for our general health and well-being was it was another quote that stood out, uh, and he was quite clearly shaken. He, he spoke at one point about feeling like someone who'd been dribbled down a court by like uh, by Steph Curry, um, and and clearly these guys' heads are getting shaken. So you have some sympathy for for Mercedes, but um, maybe they have to try raising the car, as Christian Horner said. Uh, before he, yeah. before really regulation changes come into effect. I mean, he, he would say that and he would love that. He would love nothing more than for Mercedes to just get a little bit slower, right? Like, And this is a this is a really interesting sort of dilemma that these teams are in, that Mercedes and McLaren are both in, that do you sacrifice speed for the sake of driver welfare? Like, Lewis Hamilton doesn't strike me as the type of guy who's going to over-egg the back pain. He's, he's like one of the best competitors in the, the sport's history. I mean, hiding pain is uh, something that a, a lot of competitors do. This is obviously a pretty bad scenario that he's in. Same with Ricardo, And the teams have the power, Shane, to stop this immediately. But it would obviously mean sacrificing their capabilities of going out and trying to stop Red Bull this weekend. 100%. And and like you don't, you, you also need to point out the fact that at the end of the day on, on Sunday in Baku in Azerbaijan, uh, like George Russell finished in third. Um, so he got a podium. Uh, Lewis Hamilton finished fourth. Um, and that's not been a result that he's been kind of capable of getting so far this year. So the fact that they were third and fourth on the grid in the, at the end of the race, uh, you know, and still having all these issues, highlights that they still have a little bit of speed. Certainly not the speed of, of Red Bull. And when the Ferrari cars' uh, engines managed to finish the race, certainly not as fast as them either. Um, but they can't really complain. Like apparently, the drivers by the end of this weekend, uh, in those drivers debrief meetings, uh, 19 of the 20 drivers were reportedly on board with having these these regulation changes. 
Uh, and, and that could mean anything really. That that's down to the technical engineers in order to, to kind of change the cars to to address this porpoising issue. But uh, Fernando Alonso appears to be the only exception right. uh, in terms why, of drivers. Well, I was going to ask, like, who do we know who the guy is? So why, why does he why does he not support his uh, his comrades? It, well, it doesn't really make sense, and I'm not quite sure why. He's why an old man Fernando as well. Alonso's. He's got the worst back of the lot, surely. <laughs> This is the thing. He's, he's like he's the old man. He's the grandfather of the grid. So you'd imagine he would have the the, the biggest issues. Maybe perhaps he's taken the damage is already done to me. Um, <laughs> they're done exactly that long career. So it could be it. But like when you see him not complaining about the issues and saying, "Ah, oh, it's grand. Let's not change the regulations right now." But then his his Alpine teammate Esteban Ocon is one of the other nineteen drivers uh, who is complaining, and he's in the same car as as Fernando Alonso. So, like. It, it probably does need to change when you have 19 out of 20 drivers. Maybe they're waiting until they get the 20 out of 20 and they have the full support of the, the driver's grid before they change. But um, I feel like something has to change. As soon as drivers start talking about driver safety, um, and, and Lewis Hamilton was making the point as well, guys, that you know he's traveling down a, down, a, down a straight at you know ridiculous speeds. You're touching 200 miles per hour and, at, at points. If he manages to... He was struggling at, at that point to keep the car on the grid, you know, the purposing and bouncing was so bad that at that speed he could quite easily have um, gone off and crashed into a pit wall, crashed into a into uh, the side walls, and that that would have been uh, that would have been dangerous. Uh, and as soon as drivers start mentioning safety, and Daniel Ricciardo was another that did it, um, I guess the FIA have to stand up and take notice. So Christian Horner can laugh at Mercedes all he wants, and of course he wants their pace to go slower. But um, but his driver is like obviously there. His drivers want change, but Christian Horner doesn't want change. Is that, is, is that what we're seeing here? Yeah, and and it's a little bit of politics as well. Like I I think Horner is Horner is of the the opinion that it's easy for for Mercedes to complain. Um, but he, he he's he's always going to disagree with what Toto Wolff says. Like anyone who who's watched Drive Survive knows that that Horner and Wolff probably legitimately and genuinely don't see eye to eye as, as human beings um, pretend to get on in the press conferences and that sort of thing. And there is that little bit of uh, forward rage and, and uh, battles that go back and forth. But uh, ultimately, I think even Max and Sergio Perez, the two Red Bull drivers under Horner, know that that's something probably needs to change. Like Max is good friends with, with Daniel Ricciardo. Believe it or not, he's, he has a, a fairly decent working relationship, it seems, with Lewis Hamilton as well, despite all that went on last year. So these drivers talk, you know, on the grid, off the track. Um, so it, it probably feels like the, the, the rule changes are going to come into effect, but whether or not they'll bring them in soon um, remains to be seen because, of course, uh, Mercedes wanted to happen. Red Bull are quite happy as things, as things go uh, to, to continue on the, on, on the way things are going. But you'd imagine something in, 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 the, next, in the next number of weeks will come to a head with this porpoising. And, and as it affects, it's going to take a big crash. Um, it's going to take this bouncing causing some some serious issue or, or a driver being quite visibly concussed in a, in a post-race interview or something I think uh, in order to change it and really it shouldn't so get as, to as, that as, stage as, that's that's crazy like it's so so dangerous and all the other factors that go along with it like the heat that there was there at the weekend mm. all of those things must play a factor when you're in the car like you know your mind everything like that in the heat then if you have this on top of it the speed you're going like surely something needs to be done before it gets to that stage and there is a bad accident 100% and like like um listening to Lewis afterwards talking about you know he was just on the straight holding and biting down in his teeth due to the pain that's how he described wow. it he said the only thing that really helped was was the adrenaline and you can imagine at those speeds 
adrenaline would get rid of a certain amount of the pain for you at, at that particular moment. But he, he like he he found it almost difficult to express the the levels of pain that he was experiencing in the car. He was saying at the at the end of the straight, you just are praying for for it to end. Um, but then he goes on to say, look, still a good result for the team, third and fourth. Uh, but as you said, Ashley, visibly distressed getting out of, out of the car. He said it was the most painful race of his life, um, and and he's had plenty of them. So look, a growing number of drivers in in support of this the, the, these rule changes in some way to ban, banish the bouncing. But yeah, when, when you hear drivers talking about having to bite down in their teeth to to stop the pain on a straight, that's that's extremely concerning. Yeah, so maybe a lack of a competitive head-to-head so far in this year's Formula 1 season, but that is a significant enough storyline and that's one to, to keep an eye on over the next little while. So, Canadian Grand Prix this weekend <clears throat> in Montreal. Uh, thanks, million for explaining that, Shane. Just before we let you go, tonight in uh, Poland, it is Ireland against Ukraine in the final match of this international window. It's a 7.45 kickoff. James McLean was in front of the media yesterday and uh, talked about uh, his home gym as a uh, sanctuary for him to... I guess, keep up to speed in his own fitness work to, to get fitter, to get faster. Stephen Kenny was saying that he's actually added a, a yard of pace, he reckons, over the last little while. And it really feels that uh, the stocks in James McLean have risen significantly over the last little while. I don't think it's been too long ago that people mostly wanted him out of the team or thought he wasn't good enough for Ireland. Uh, are you a fully paid-up member to the James McLean fan club? Oh, I'm 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 one of the, the biggest members of the, the James McLean fan club. I love him. Um, I think... Like his attitude is, has always been quite admirable. Um, like he's he's of an age now where he's clearly one of the more experienced members of those of that uh, Irish squad, and to hear him talking like that in the press conference, even himself and Stephen Kenny were clearly in good in good form yesterday, talking about laughing about. I think Gavin Cooney at the press conference asked, um, you know, did James's presence at the press conference mean he was going to be captaining Ireland uh, in this game tonight in in, in Luge? But uh, James joking like uh, I think the. You know the the chef would probably be be made captain before me, but of course he was joking. But he's only he's only as he said seven caps off a hundred. Uh, you know, and to become a centurion for your country would be would be quite an achievement for James. Like he offered, I think you you both agree he offered a lot more than Enda Stevens did in that left wing back position um, against Scotland. He just looks more dangerous. He gets more crosses into the box. Um, maybe you could argue that that Stevens was unlucky in that he was taking on the Ukraine team, whereas the Scottish team probably plays a different way allowed Ireland to get more crosses into the box but James McLean adds so much to that Ireland setup. and when you have the talent of Obafemi and Parrot obviously Obafemi uh, looks like likely to not make the action tonight with injury but when you have that talent in the box you need to get the ball into the box and uh, McLean for all his uh, for all that, that some people think he doesn't bring a lot to the Irish setup, when he can get the ball into the box like that um, he creates chances so uh, yeah fully paid up member of the James McLean fan club right here yeah absolutely and uh, the show goes as you say to Woods tonight for that 7.45 kick off Shane thanks a million for being with us appreciate it cheers guys good stuff <laughs> commenting immediately uh, James McLean is a terrible player <laughs> I think he needs to back it up now tonight like that's going to be the big thing because he hasn't been consistent I don't feel and there was questions over his performances for so long and he did so well against Scotland so yeah, I'm 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 really backing him tonight to hopefully get a, a good performance in and yeah, he'll shut a few people up, I think. Yeah, I think he's been one of the more consistent players in the, the Stephen Kenny era. Uh, Fergus Keogh says if the Formula One drivers are in that much pain, they should refuse to drive. And maybe that's exactly 
what will happen, Fergus, over the next little while. Right, we are going to be uh, chatting to Tommy Welsh very shortly indeed. We're going to be looking ahead to the All-Ireland Hurling quarterfinals. But before that, former Mayo and Armagh footballer Billy Joe Padden shared his thoughts on how Armagh beat Donegal at the weekend on last night's Off the Ball. Have a look. Yes, and if you go into the second quarter of the game, uh, well, after the outstanding goal that Rory Rudin scored, and it was fantastic from a throw-in move, great kick in by Ryan O'Neill, you know, attack, uh, Rory Rudin attacks the ball, and then he's a beautiful left foot. He actually placed it gently nearly into the top corner, wonderful finish. But after that, Donegal were playing really, really well. Michael Murphy in at the edge of the square, while he wasn't having an impact himself, it seemed to empower some of the forwards out the field. And their their shooting was, they were much more eager to shoot and they were accurate and they they, they went into a lead. But I didn't think the, 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 the kickouts and the, the kickout strategy and the errors they made in that regard, then the black card and how that totally, you know, it, it muddled everything for Donegal. But that was that just the in that our man needed because after that they were absolutely flawless throughout the rest of the game their usual aggressive selves they were physical around the middle of the field uh, and then you saw the quality that Rain O'Neill and Rory Grugan and players like that have Supi Campbell didn't have a great start to the game but he's persistent believes in his own ability kept going kept creating things and uh, they're a team now that's playing with a lot of energy a lot of confidence and they fully deserve their win OTB AM. This is OTB Sports Radio. Off the ball's the best, number one. It's the GOAT of sports apps. Talk about the greatest of all time. Nathan, you know Big Joe. Big Joe's the greatest of all time. He's the GOAT. <laughs> we know it. So Every single me. time. Yes. Yes. It's tough going. It's it's tough for my ego. I, I'm going to say right. I'm the Djokovic of this scenario. Love it, love it. This is OTB Sports Radio. Download the OTB Sports app now. Things that put people off on a first date. Showing up late and getting your name wrong? Always a great start. Looking at their phone more than you? Eh, hello. Someone who only talks about themselves. Oh, really? God, aren't you great? Look, no one said dating is perfect, but at godating.ie, we promise we'll always try and find your perfect match. Because somewhere out there, there's someone for you. And godating.ie will help you find them. Yes, even you, socks and sandals guy. Go on, go for it with godating.ie. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 12 minutes past 8 you're very welcome back it is All-Ireland Senior Hurling Championship quarter final weekend uh, well it's not a really a weekend it's Monday it's Saturday it's back-to-back fixtures it's Galway against Cork at a quarter to 2 on Saturday and then Clare against Wexford is the second game at a quarter to 4 they're both on at Semple Stadium and Tommy Welsh is with us to look ahead to them Tommy good morning to you how are you keeping? Yeah good morning Owen uh, first of all the big story around these fixtures is obviously going to be with regards to the disciplinary process it feels like every big hurling game needs to have uh, one of these stories around it at the moment and it looks like uh, Keenan Fahey and Rory Hayes and Peter Duggan will appeal their bans tomorrow night uh, first of all Tommy is that a good idea in the week leading up to a game to, to be focusing on this sort of stuff or do you think sure look there's a chance that we might be able to get these players back we may as well throw every dice we've got yeah I think it all depends on if, if you feel there's an injustice on I think um, it's definitely worse uh, exploring that avenue. I think if probably you look at two different type of instances, the one in the Munster final, I think what people in Clare are most um, you know, disappointed with is the fact that there's only two instances shown on the Sunday game. Both were 
ones that people that are at the game didn't see bar maybe they're right right there and like were they the only two instances in the game and I just think it is a dangerous avenue like listen the Sunday game is an iconic program I grew up watching it it's the reason half the country you know in Ireland are, are playing hurling because they look forward to that evening watching the highlights of their heroes watching the great things happening and I know the Sunday game I'm sure they have a, a job to do that they have to highlight instances whether they're good or bad but I suppose what we have to be careful of is like do we just show the instances that the referee dealt with because otherwise you're going down on a very very dangerous avenue because like everyone will be crying out now from Clare and probably all over the country did they did they look at every incident in the game and what that will lead to happening then is the referees or the referees council or whoever's looking over these uh, video analysis the CCC They'll go back and explore every single instance in every game. And then you'll probably come out with five or six or seven suspensions. And I know probably the, the message to be sent down for, 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 for the future is, well, listen, if you don't do anything, you won't be suspended. But um, I just think it's, it's a tough call at this stage of the season that only two instances were picked out. And I think that's probably what will disappoint most hurling people. Um, there'll probably be no, you know, no one can really say that there weren't, you know, probably suspensions I, I understand that but um, just from a, from a player's point of view and the GA in particular there's so many instances going on in every game you've got a five or six suspensions you know it, it, the one thing I would say is that it, it's we're kind of unsure of how much of an influence the Sunday game has like I'm sure it has some influence there's like a couple of these situations where they've definitely aligned with television coverage but there is kind of an element of secrecy around the CCCC where we don't get given enough information it seems when it comes to why they're taking these decisions um, and how they arrive at these decisions and just a lack of transparency in general when it comes to the disciplinary process you'd assume that that would maybe help things along for, for everybody really if there was a bit more transparency on that front well, I don't know about that either on because if if they if they you know start getting into that, they'll have to go through every instant and every game of every second. It could take it hours and hours and looking at five or six different camera angles to see what you pick up. Like you see in the WhatsApps during the week, lads are picking up on video phones during the week, but you can't be going on that either. So listen, it, it is a difficult one. Um, you know, I would probably like to see you know maybe this maybe they have to do a job on the Sunday game on, on their nighttime program, but I would like to see them dealing with the instance that the referee was looking at during the game and everything else leave it to the CCC. And I think most people will probably be happy enough with that. And say if an opposition were disappointed with a particular instance, that maybe they could you know cite them. Is that what they do in rugby? They could cite a, a particular incident if they wanted that. And because that would mean then if someone really felt badly about a uh, certain way that uh, a player was being managed, you know, off the ball, that they, there was an avenue for them to, to explore. And otherwise, otherwise now, most hurling people, like, you'd have to be very proud if you're uh, in the family of Seamus Flanagan or on the team of Seamus Flanagan the weekend uh, and all the Limerick players and the fact that when they did get the belts, they just got on with it. And that's the way we grew up hurling. That's the way hurling is played in your back garden. You give belts and you, you took belts and you just got on with it. And uh, you let the referee maybe look after if there was that more serious. And I just, I think them two lads, I think they deserve huge credit uh, on the offside of that. Is that They didn't look for anyone to be sent off. They weren't rolling around the ground. That showed the toughness of their mentality. That sh- showed that they know the game. If they're willing to pull and drag out a player, listen, sometimes there's consequences. And uh, I just say fair play to the two lads. 
And obviously we see that it's a, a double header, Tommy, um, in Semple Stadium. Great to see it's in Semple Stadium, but the fact that it's a double header, I was just seeing on Twitter yesterday, like there was a lot of comments, people can't get tickets. You know, they're, they're you know, really hoping to get to these games and it's becoming a problem. Should it have been a double header? Could we have seen it maybe on two different days? Um, I'd have to agree with the double header, Ashing. Um, like we're all raving on about the Munster final versus the Leinster final. You know, the whole of Ireland probably could have got to throw apart for the Leinster final that night. <laughs> and we're all giving out that the atmosphere was terrible. So go back to the Munster final, the, you know, Terra 6 were sold out in 11 minutes. It was impossible to get tickets. I never got as many texts uh, for tickets for a match even when I was playing and uh, just couldn't be got. So listen, I think the, the real diehards, they will get tickets for that match, I would imagine through their clubs and through their contacts and that the real, if you really, really want to go, I, I, I would find you will get a ticket somewhere whether you have to drive to Donegal or drive to <laughs> the far side of the country to get one, you will get one. And I think it'll lend itself to a huge, huge atmosphere. And like we've seen even in the football in Clonus versus Crow Park last weekend, we've seen the Leinster versus the Munster final, we've seen earlier around Robins when Kenny went up to, to Pierce Stadium. It was electric. It was up there myself. It was like knockout championship game. So I fully agree with putting the double header in Turles, which will lend itself to a huge atmosphere. Oh, absolutely. Definitely that it's in Turles. But do you think it could have been two different days? Like, could they not have sold that out twice? Had the same atmosphere twice? Like, would there not have been that amount of crowd by two? Um, possibly, but I I would doubt it. Um, okay. I don't know how Turles was, probably 40, 45,000 people. And I just think it, it lends itself to be four sets of sports hanging around Turles all yeah. morning. Uh, you know, I was there for the Munster final earlier in quarter 12 and I just thought it was it was just one of those days that you just had to be there. I think quarterfinals, yes, maybe there'll be huge interest this weekend because there's four teams with it seems like a 50-50 chance each. There's no clear-cut favourites. But I think normal days, quarterfinals should be a day where all four teams go together and it should lend itself to a huge day out. And just when you're talking about the tickets there, you were saying that people were asking for tickets, they'd be looking for tickets. I remember you saying before that you used to keep a book of all the people that used to ask you <laughs> for tickets and you'd, you'd write down their name and then you'd give it to your mom. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was it. That was it. So we're all Ireland final day. So whatever day it used to be, it was the first week in September. So the minute a lad had asked me for a ticket, he'd go into the book and, uh, you know, you could have 50, 60, 70 requests, you know, and um, they would up to mommy then and we kind of went through the list just to deserve them the most. Uh, you know, so listen, there could be a lot of lads texting me you know, after this show saying, you never gave me tickets, I think I deserve one, but uh, no, that's the way it was. It was very easy. And people used to get carried away. I remember it was the Kerry men, you'd reel off that time when I was starting hurling about the Kerry guys, they were giving guidance that time during the media on how to deal with all Ireland finals. And I just felt, rolling up to an all Ireland final, my head was never erect with it. Because someone, no matter who asked me, they went into that book, and I didn't think about it again till I got the tickets. When I got the tickets, you know, I went through it. And listen, most of them were gone to your aunties, uncles and first cousins anyway. So um, that's just the way it was. But yeah, it's a nice way of dealing with it. And, and I had, would you believe, asking, if like dollar five could be on a Sunday, you could have a leg called your door half six Saturday evening. See, Imagine, like you're trying to get your head in the game there, Tommy. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable stuff. But if you kind of have positive attitude towards the night, that's the way I looked at it. It was kind of organised, done and dusted. 
And there's no tickets. If you ask me a week coming up to the game for a ticket, I would say, no, they're gone. They're done dusting them two weeks beforehand. So there was no, uh, <laughs> there's no search for tickets late for all Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> they have to deal with that for Munster Hurling final day and for All-Ireland quarter final day, it turns out, this year, Tommy. Yeah, yeah. This isn't a great complaint. On, Absolutely. You know, last year we were at games with 2,000 people at. We were at the All-Ireland a couple of years ago. No one added. It's unbelievable. Like, that's, I think this is what we want. And the Crow Park can't get it right every day. Like, as, you know, you've seen the criticism they got last, for the last few weekends of not uh, of having them up in Crow Park. Now they're doing this and we're going to get a bumper crowd and it's going to be an amazing day, you know. So I think, listen, all credit goes to Crow Park. Like, it's, it's a lad that made the fixtures years ago told me fixtures are always easy until you have to go make. And then you'll find out how difficult they are. So, listen, no, huge credit. As the hurling man is a neutral, I can't wait to go to, to Turles on Saturday for, for two great games. The first of those two games is Galway against Cork. It's a 145 throw-in. The big question for Galway was around the performance in Croke Park. It felt like a flat occasion, but it felt like a relatively flat performance from Galway. In, when you're in a squad like that, how do you manage to fix an intangible like flatness in the space of two weeks? Yeah, well, I suppose they had been unbeaten coming up to it. and There's nothing like, you know a loss to, 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 to ra- you know, raise or sharp your focus. And they hadn't had that probably since the earlier rounds and probably the, the, the league st- stages. They were all maybe, you know, the, the nine points to top the league. But I disagreed with a lot of commentary around the game in regards. I thought they worked very, very hard. I just thought what let them down on the day was their execution. Like Kenny came with a ferociousness, as we always expect to Kenny after a loss like that. Brian Cody had his team just humming for, for the day regards work rate regards savagery, regards physicality. And I thought Galway brought it too for, for long uh, parts of that game on. I think what let them down in the end was their execution. Like they had, Joseph Cooney had a great goal chance. He went straight through and went to kick it, which is always a 50-50, you know, unless you're, you know, from Kerry maybe or from Tyrone or, the, you know, one of the Dublin footballers. For most hurlers, it's a 50-50 one where you kick it, whether it goes into the goal or over to the sideline. And he just went straight uh, at Owen Murphy. And if he had to bat at that ball, like, you know, the Cork team used to train, Don O'Grady used to train the Cork and Limerick hurlers that time when he was coaching them. When you get in near the goal, just bat that ball into the, into the net. Uh, then Conor Whelan had two great chances. You know, one where he bounced it into the ground and with very little pace. We've seen Gerard Higgerty doing that in the Muslim final, but skidded at a huge base into the corner. I know he had more time and more space to, to make the swing, but Conor Whelan would normally put them in the back of the net. The other one was the crossover from, I think it was Brian Concannon, and he just missed the control. Now, it was a very... The pace on the pass was probably a bit too fast, but still it was a super goal chance. And then there was another one where uh, one of the Galway forwards going through and it was a body block by, by Owen Murphy. So there was four very, very good, and I wouldn't call them half chances, I'd say great goal chances that they didn't take. So I would disagree with a lot of the commentary on. I thought they came with huge physicality to that game and um, they just they, they missed a lot of chances. That's a, that's, so they're in a, in a good position, you think, after two weeks ago, that there's actually not a, a whole pile to fix because those hurlers, the fellas that you've listed out there are all exceptional hurlers. That, that execution is absolutely in their locker and it's just about, I guess, finding the right moments uh, and just executing better this week. Is, 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 it, is it as simple as that for Galway to get over the line against Cork? Well, like when you miss four goal chances, like they have been a team that score a lot of points. I think it's more calmness in front of them. It probably needs to be done on the, on the training ground where you put those guys into those situations and say, listen, calm down. I always remember listening to the Gooch Cooper stuck in my head from an interview we gave years ago. I think he said it to Donny, when you're going through and goal, don't just blast the ball. 
pick a spot and just glide it in. Most you'll be so close to the goalie, he won't have the, the reactions to stop it. And um, you know, was, watched his Laker Gale only two or three weeks ago again and, and, and he was playing that uh, fact out again. So he was one of the greatest finishers, you know, in, in the game. And Hurdles, you know, a similar game except for just you're using a stick in the ball. And um, I think the great players, that's what they do. They, they, they pick a spot like the Limerick guys, I think, are absolutely outstanding at. Galan, Hegarty, just when they see the goalie come and just slot somewhere where he's not or to put to his bad side. So I think either it's spoken to him, but I think a lot of that comes from practicing on the training ground on. Uh, but I think what will be tough for Galway is we've seen the four provincial finalists in the football with their two-week break. It's such a disappointment losing the provincial final, especially when you're coming from a position where you're mad to win it. You haven't been winning it year in, year out. And it's where Clare will find it very difficult. It's where uh, Galway will find it very, very difficult. They're so disappointed. You've seen Henry Shefflin on the sideline after the game. So, you know, downtrodden, so disappointed. So can they pick themselves up? That will be the question with their spirit and their liveliness. Or will they be, you know, finding it tough like, like the provincial finalists in, in football? And just looking at Cork as well, like they, they had a bit of a slow start and then they came into their own. And someone that I think has really had a, a really big impact is Conor Lahan. You know, he's been exceptional for them. What have you made of him so far, Tommy? Yeah, actually, Lahan has been outstanding. And uh, I remember watching him back in county finals and just giving a tour to the force of Parky Creeve. I remember one of his first years, I'd say probably around maybe 2012, I'd say, or 13. Uh, he was coming onto the stage. We were playing him down in Parky Creeve. And he's just so fast he was back then. So he, he had a great career, although he didn't win in All-Ireland. And he was dropped, you know, last year and asked back onto the panel this year. And they said, oh, do you know what? To hell with you. He didn't want me last year. How, how do you think that if I put in the training from now until then that you're going to suddenly have belief in me? But no, he went back, showed his mental resolve, showed his toughness. And he's been outstanding. One of the main leaders, actually, for this car team. The big question for them is which Cork team turns up when they turn up with an attitude where, it, and it's all to do with defending, coming from number 15 back to, to their goalkeeper. Will they turn up with an attitude of defending or will it be a case of when the ball comes to me or I work so hard to get the ball and put it over the bar and back the net, but I don't care about the other side of the game. Hurling is a 50-50 game when you have the ball and when you don't have the ball. When Cork turn up, when, when they have no attitude towards chasing, their def- chasing the opposition, or it's taking the ball back off them. They're, they're a total different team. We've seen in the last game or two, they turned up with the attitude that, yes, listen, it's my responsibility. Shane Kingston has, has showed it. You know, uh, Darren Fitzgibbon has showed it. With chase backs and last-minute hoops, last-minute blocks, sometimes just getting in your body. We spoke about this at the very start in their first game and they lost it. They have been doing that in the last game or two. And if they stay doing that, I'd give them, you know, I'd nearly put them favourites. And there's a few injury concerns. Robert Downey, Sean O'Donoghue, as you mentioned there, uh, Sean Kings, or Shane Kingston, sorry, as well. Um, they're unsure. So if those type of players are out, you know, that's that's going to be worrying for them? It will be worrying, but it also can, and might be no harm to Cork, it give you an extra focus. They seem to, when they're very, very focused and when the pressure is off, they've hurled at their best. We've seen Clare when they're missing six. We thought Watford were beating be 10, 15 points. Probably, you know, if you're trying to get through in that Munster group, you were probably given out about Clare. You know, the Cork were playing that weekend and they were probably worried. I listen, Clare are definitely going to win or Water are definitely going to win. Clare are down six men. Their main men um, were, were missing. John Connolly was missing. Tony Kelly was missing. And we've seen the tour de force that Clare gave blown in against Watford. So I think 
that'll be in Cork's lock, locker. Clark, Cork is a big hurling county. Cork always has great hurlers. So they'll, they'll have no problem, I think, bringing in guys. And I never think hurling is is, is, is what their downfall is, Ashling. I think their, their downfall is their attitude towards defending. I think if they are missing one or two, I might bring them that uh, razor-sharp focus uh, to what and win this, this weekend. You said there a moment ago you'd make them favourites if they bring that level of aggression. Do you think they will? Do you make them favourites? Yeah, I do make them favourites. Uh, one, for the simple reason is, I think Galway are going to be so disappointed after that Leinster final. It's going to be so difficult for them to pick themselves uh, back up. Now, if they do pick themselves back up and they play with the fire and the brimstone that you're, you know, associate with, with Galway in the, in the earlier rounds, well then, listen, it'll be absolutely a 50-50 game. But I think it's just going to be so tough for this Galway team to pick it back up. I think the, the upper trajectory of this Cork team, I think that's where they're going. And I think, um, yeah, it'll lend, lend to a, a victory for Cork. Uh, just before we move on to the second game, just something you said there a moment ago about, unless you're a Kerry or a Tyrone hurler, you don't kick the ball. Uh, what was your policy on kicking the ball as a hurler? Did you just avoid at all costs or uh, was it something that you reverted to when, when needs must? Well, there's a back, just boot. boot. <laughs> <laughs> you're talking you about finishing, you're talking about scoring with the boot. Yeah, well, no, when you're scoring with the boot, it's far, di- okay. far different. So when you're, no, I always used to try and hit it with the hurling player and so on instead of waiting from it, but... You know, we're starting to play a bit of football here in Tullerone now these days. We entered the Under-13 Championship and uh, we got bet in the league final and we won the county final. So we must be doing something right. Happy days. Who did you beat in the county final? Um, I won't say because we're yeah. playing in the Under-11 Hurling County Final tomorrow. It's going to be a big battle. So... <laughs> I find as well when you kick the slater, because if you hit the ridge wrong on the slater, it can go anyway. So that's a big thing. Even if you play football, it can be quite tough to to gauge it right and to connect with it right. So I sometimes think it doesn't even matter if you play football, you can just connect with it wrong whatever way it's sitting and it can go anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think most footballers anyway, they're, when they're, I suppose, trying to position the ball, they're kind of roundhouse, they're kind of with the inside near their ankle. That's where they're kind of hit the inside of their foot. Mm-hmm. Whereas you can't really get any power in hurling ball. As you said, you hit the rim in the wrong place. You don't know where it's going to end up. So I think that's the problem with the hurling ball, you know. Like, I think you just have to give it with the laces. I'm sure it can go anywhere. So uh, Claire Wexford is uh, the second of the doubleheader on Saturday. And uh, Shane O'Donnell has been out doing media this week. Uh, a lot of really interesting things that he's been speaking about. He's been talking about his concussion. He talks about six or seven weeks where his brain wasn't functioning. He says after an extended period of time, he says hurling was gone. You have to fully come to terms with what happened a few days after what he was feeling and having felt the full brunt of the symptoms, he accepted that he was never going to hurl again, he said. It's really extraordinary stuff because his inclusion this year, his switch to wing forward, his comeback for Clare, has been part of, a really significant part, Tommy, of, of this Clare resurgence this season. Yeah, and it was very, you know, it was a very good article and he spoke, uh, you know, very well about it and it just showed, I suppose, the addiction to sport that he wasn't able to stay away from it in the end, you know, even though he knew the consequence of what happened to him uh, last year. Like, it's it's just more than just winning or losing. Like, you're getting down to the dressing room with the lads or, you know, or the girls you're playing in ladies' Gaelic football or camogie. And it's such an addictive thing. Like, you're getting out of the house, you're down amongst your peers there for two hours, three or four times a week, you're in the gym together. Like, it is a very addictive scene, uh, being part of a, a club team or a county team. Uh, and that's what probably hit me most when he um, when he spoke about the, the concussion. He knew how serious it was at the time, but 
Uh, he and he thought that he would never, and he was comfortable at that time of never playing again. But as soon as you know, he felt good to go again. He was back, and he's after it, and he spoke about it uh, quite well. He's after going on a few kilograms. And that's what's after, I suppose, helping him in in his ability. He's supposed to deal with the the, the physicality out around the half Ireland because we all know that's where that's where the bodies are these days. That middle third, and I think regards his head. I, I suppose it gave him a new lease of life. When you're inside, it can be you have to be very patient, on you. It can be very frustrating if you don't have a patient type of personality. Your head can really go inside because you mightn't get the ball for you know 15, 20 minutes. But when it when it does come in, you have to be you know hungry and fresh, and you have to be waiting for the opportunity. Like Christy Ring used to always say, like a goal in the last five minutes is just as important as a goal in the first five minutes, and that's why he never got too caught up with how a game was going. He was just waiting and waiting and waiting for his chance. And Shane O'Donnell has been in there for many years, so it's great to see him out in half hour line. Oh, and he's a, a new lease of life out there. As he said himself, even when he's not in the game with the ball, he can go around making the tackles, uh, chasing you know the, the, the wing back, going up to, to, to make a run up to score a goal or, or for a pass. So he feels like he's in the game all the time. So a great work ethic, and I'd say one of the first names down the team for, for Brian Lawn. When you're analysing this game, do you have the same concern around Clare and their disappointment from a provincial final defeat as you would have had around Galway? Or is this a little bit different because Limerick are just so good and Clare can take a lot out of the draw and then the defeat? Yeah, no, I would actually take even more. I would put more probably on this game because Clare has been hurling out with her skin in every game since the Munster Championship began, even when they, when, when they dropped the, the six guys for their last game. So they have been just hurling at peak performance for the last nearly two months, you know. And Shane said it in his interview. He said it was one of the most disappointing games that he was part of because they played so well, gave it everything and still lost. And I often found that myself when you play a game. Guys, when you play well and lose, there's people coming up congratulating you, telling you, you know, you had a great game or the team had a great game. But your overriding feeling inside your own head and body is you're devastated, you're disappointed. So you're thankful for and grateful for the people, you know, because you know probably you played well and you know the team played well, but you're still lost. And it, it is devastating. And it's nearly harder, I found, because you don't have that probably bit growing up inside your, your soul or inside your heart to say, we're going to get them the next day because everyone's congratulating you on. You'd rather if, if, if you know, someone said, you, you know, you're terrible the last day. And in your, your head, you're saying, I'm going to show them uh, next Sunday or next Saturday in Turles towards the Clare guys of lads congratulating them tell them how great a team they are and how they will still get over you know Wexford this weekend I think that's going to be the tough it's the mental side of it for Clare is going to be their biggest uh, mission this weekend if they can as I would say reset it's over now don't try and we'll say lads remember how we played against Limerick remember how we played against Waterford forget all that and you just focus on the next game. This will take on a life of its own. They're playing a very, very hungry Wexford team. They'll bring huge support. They have great belief now. They're after getting a couple, you know, they're after a great win last weekend. And they got through probably against Kilkenny when nobody in Wexford even gave them a chance in all the park that night. So they're again, like Cork, they're, they're, they're on the upper curve. And um, they have very, very good hurlers as well. And they're probably playing a more attacking style now. The Conor McDonald, the Rory O'Connor, the Lee Chin. So they have hurlers that can hurt you. So I think this will be Clare's most difficult uh, game in the whole championship. But Clare to progress? 
I don't know. Um, <laughs> because um, you're probably saying, Tommy, you should have thought about this, but I did. <laughs> I did own. And I just don't know. Like, they're possibly, like, I, I, it's going to be very difficult for to get off it on a technicality for two guys to get off in the suspension. So they could be very down, these two guys, plus feeling the way they're feeling. And um, listen, I think it's going to be a very tight game. But um, listen, no, I, I, I give the. I, you know, I give it the very to to Claire on the basis of respect and what they've done in the, in the championship so far. But um, I see it as a fifty fifty game, and 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 that's not word of a lie. Um, you, if they weren't already golden tickets for the double header on Saturday, you've made them uh, even more golden. I think after that time, they should be two absolutely cracking games. Uh, before we let you go, the weekly shout out from uh, Tommy Welch yeah. is uh, the most eagerly anticipated part of the segment. Who have we got this morning? Well, I don't know about that, but um, the, the shout-outs, they come from all over. And um, there could be a hurl. Like, we've had a manager so far. We've had a hurler. Um, we've had games. So this week, I'm going for a commentator. as Michal O'Mahertig. Um, Like, I think we can all agree. This man, like, you know, he was the colossus. He was a national treasure. I was just looking up some of the stuff that, you know, he has done over the years, like, well, I was even thinking of my own story, like how many families grew up listening to this guy? Uh, you know, you turn on the radio, you go out to the kitchen, and he would just, like, you didn't even feel like you were at the game. You felt you were a part of the game. You felt you were hurling in the game. It's just the culture that he grew up, his mastery of the Irish language, his mastery of, of every language, the English language as well. He was just out on his own. And um, he's my shout out this week. Like, I think he's the best commentator in any sport, in any country in, in the world. Um, he really brought our family, absolutely, you know, loved him. He's loved all over Ireland. He's loved all over the world. Um, there was some, like, I was trying to get up to quotes. Like, he had great humour as well, on mm. uh, and Ashing. And I was looking up quotes last night that he came up with. And, you know, I nearly spent an hour going through them. But uh, I came up with two that, that, that he said. I thought they were brilliant. He said, uh, Colin Corkery on the 45, let's go with the right boot. It's over the bar. This man shouldn't be playing football. He's made an almost Lazarus-like recovery from a heart condition. Lazarus was a great man, but he couldn't kick pints like Colin Corkery. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> all stuff with that kind of stuff. Like he, he was very intelligent as well. And my favourite one then was, um, <laughs> he was talking, it must have been a Tyrone game, and he goes, and Brian, Brian Doer is down injured. And while he is, I'll tell you a little story. I was in Times Square in New York last week and I was missing the championship back home. So I approached the newsstand and I suppose you wouldn't have the carry man, would you? To which the Egyptian behind the counter turned to me and he said, do you want the North Kerry edition or the South Kerry edition? <laughs> <laughs> he, had, he had both. So I bought both. And Doer is back in his feet. So, <laughs> oh, <laughs> so like, legend. He <laughs> uh, was amazing. And one last small one then was, and this was, <laughs> again, just showed his wit and his humour. And which is everything the G is about. It is about winning. It is about horror. It is about football. But it's about the crack and the camaraderie as well. And he goes, the stopwatch has stopped. It's up to God and the referee now. The referee is Pat Horn and God is God. <laughs> <laughs> So listen, you know, uh, you know, and before every game as well, uh, on national, like I listen to him going up to matches. Um, I put it on in the YouTube and I put the the, the phone over in, in, in the passenger seat of the car and I listen to him whether it's going to Turles 
other, whether it's going to Crow Park, just to get in there, trying to learn from him, obviously. Like, he, this guy seen it as obviously a career, but it was his mission to, 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 to help the viewers, not to help the players, but to help the viewers, the listeners, that he brought the game to them. And they were the most important uh, people in, in Ireland when he was commentating. And when you do listen to him go, you just see how important it is that you need to be up for it and you need to do your best uh, when, when, when you're looking at a game. And, you know, there was a few things that I do listen to. And one of them, if any of our listeners, <laughs> he, he, he does a great commentary on making a ham sandwich. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, if you look it up on YouTube, and that's uh, absolutely outstanding. And he does a hurler sprayer great as well. And uh, and even I, I used to try and listen to games that he commented on. And for the first few years, that when I was with yourselves, the only one I could find was 2010 All Ireland. So yeah. how great a commentator we Hall and Maherty is. The only game I could listen to the, was the 2010 All Ireland, Tipperary Bees, <laughs> and I still listen to it just to hear him. Wow. And uh, now, thankfully, someone bought the 96 All Ireland, so I'm listening to Wexford winning their All Ireland now, so it's much better. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. So will, you'll have Michal on YouTube going to Thurles this weekend? I will, yeah, every game. Just because, you know, the way some complacent, like Brian Cody always told complacency like it's a need it has to be it's a disease it has to be got out of the dressing room and you never let it creep in but I just find going to a match you know you could think you're going as a supporter just to enjoy the occasion but I suppose your job working for yourselves is you know to I suppose tell the listeners what you're looking at and try and bring the game I suppose to them so I just find if you turn on him for five minutes and it might be just him making a ham sandwich mm. it, uh, it makes you just a life and, and you, you, you feel listen you have an important job to do now in two or three hours so you just feel up for it yeah Tommy Welsh absolutely fantastic stuff as always thanks a million enjoy the weekend that's love bye bye uh, setting the table early before the All-Ireland quarterfinals this weekend Tommy Welsh there and it's going to be a cracking double header in Thurles on Saturday right time for the papers there are so many idiots out there so many spoofers there's a lot of horse I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean a spoofer? He's a bullshit. Ah, no, Emma, come on, don't, don't be, no, I'm not, yes. no. John Duggan, a very good morning to you. Owen and Ashton, how are we doing? Yeah, very well. Was uh, Michal Amir hurting somebody that uh, filled your kitchen up back in the day? Oh, massively. The greatest commentator I've ever heard. Uh, the 1991... Mead, Dublin, Ashley, you'd be happy to hear this if you heard it at the time. Maybe you might be a bit young, but um, the greatest commentary I've ever heard of a sporting event when, when David Beggy put the ball over the bar after Kevin Foley had scored the goal. Um, it is on YouTube, and it's uh, the greatest thing I've, I've ever heard. Um, the fourth game of uh, that incredible summer between the Dubs and Mead, and the Dubs had that game in the palm of their hands, and Mead had that incredible comeback, and it was... 2 to 15 points, I think it was. Dublin missed a penalty. And um, best thing I've ever heard, uh, I remember going to England as a um, young man, like it was uh, working away in England when I was in college, and um, I could get the satellite feed of Michal Mahershik. So I could, was able to listen to RT Radio uh, on Sunday afternoons in the UK. And in the summer of 95, when Dublin won the All-Ireland, I remember like, J.O. in the, the semi-final against Cork and uh, he just had that ability uh, to really put the hairs down the back of your um, neck, like to get them stand up the back of your neck and shiver down your spine when he'd like, he's 50 yards out, he's 40 yards out, he's 30 yards out, he's 20 yards out. 
and you really felt you could imagine where the ball was, whether it was the slitter or the football was. And he was able to then build up a crescendo for something when it was uh, about to become a goal. So he was able to just paint the pictures of of, of what was going on in the game and and like just uh, inject ex incitement into people's uh, living rooms and people's cars. He, he was just one of a kind. And one of the interesting things about Michal Marhersik was he wasn't really the number one RT radio commentator, I don't think, until the 80s. So he came to it quite late in life, I believe, uh, as a commentator. It always says, there's always time, folks, to uh, become the number one in your chosen field. It doesn't have to be just because you missed it in your 30s or your 40s. Like, he was uh, in his early 60s when he was doing that Meath Dublin commentary in 1991. So, yeah, no, there'll never be another like Michal Mahershik, uh, whether it's just the, the, the breadth of information, the depth of information, um, the, the quips like the, about Sean O'Gohalpine and the, the Hurling Stronghold and our man was at Fiji and that kind of thing, or Teddy McCarthy to Larry McCarthy, no relation, Larry McCarthy to Teddy McCarthy, still no relation, mm. uh, those kind of commentaries. So, uh, no, there'll never be another like Michal O'Mahershik. He was, he was the greatest. Absolutely. Yeah, big time. I met him actually uh, a few years ago in Ballyboden. I had uh, the pleasure of interviewing him and I was so nervous because he was such an idol growing up, you know. And I remember meeting him and just he puts you at ease telling me, like, you're interviewing me now. Remember that? Mm -hmm. I was like, OK, yeah. And I remember afterwards then he was leaving and he had a phone, but I don't think it was any smartphone or anything like that. And he was going out the door and he turned back and he said, which way is it now to get to the M50? And I was just like, oh, God, right. Uh, go down this way. And I just pointed and he said, this way. OK, Grant. Out he went. Just he just needed me to point him in the direction. You know, he said, I have a map in the car. I was like, Grand, off you go, old school, but such a lovely man, and yeah, it was it was unbelievable to meet him. Have you ever met him on? Oh yeah, we've. I mean, we've had him in He's here, been in a here few yeah. times. Yeah, I do go back to that sandwich video regularly. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's my uh, that's, that's my relaxing YouTube video, watching Mihalimer Hertig making sandwiches on loop, and it's the same sandwich over and over again. It's <laughs> uh, fantastic. It is the best thing on the internet. I um, sat beside him at the 2013 football final between Mayo and Dublin. We were both at the back of the press box. And somebody, you know that Aircom used to have this thing where they, where they, they get, you could find yourself in the crowd. And somebody, oh, yeah. somebody found the pair of us in the crowd and sent me the photo, which is kind of funny. <laughs> nice to have. Yeah, nice to have, yeah. Um, nice to have. There is a lot happening in the world of sport at the moment. Uh, John, where, where do you want to start? Yeah, there's some breaking news. Andrew Goodman is now going to be the assistant coach of Leinster from next season, replacing Felipe Contopomi. So the Kiwi... Uh, earned 17 caps as a player for Leinster between 2012 and 2014. He will be the assistant coach at Leinster from next season. That is a breaking story. Andy Farrell naming a squad of about 40 players uh, this lunchtime for the Tour of New Zealand. Three tests down under against the All Blacks. Robert Balakun is a doubt. Ronan Kelleher, probably quite a serious doubt. Ronan Kelleher with a shoulder problem. Hopeful for uh, places on the plane for Kieran Frawley, Joe McCarthy, Kean Prendergast, Johnny Sexton going to captain the side. Huge day for Republic of Ireland um, players at under-21 and senior level. Under-21s play Italy and Ascoli at half four. If they win, they qualify for the first ever time for European Championship. They've got the escape hatch of a guaranteed playoff spot already for the finals in Georgia and Romania, but half four, it's on TV, must watch. And then we have the 7.45 kickoff, uh, the match live and off the ball on News Talk for Ukraine against the Republic of Ireland at senior level in Łódź uh, in uh, Poland. No Michael Obafemi, no Shane Duffy, no John Egan. Dara O'Shea, Dara Lennon tipped a start in defence. Chizose Ogbeni could get a start in the forward positions. Scott Hogan could even get a start. So we'll see what happens when Stephen Kenny names his team later on. 
Um, we also have uh, in the back pages this morning the Irish Independent reporting that Peter Duggan and Rory Hayes and Galway's Keane and Fahey will appeal proposed bans arising from the recent senior hurling championship appearances. We know the bans were retrospectively applied by the CCCC. Clare set to play Wexford and Galway against Cork in the All Ireland quarterfinals in Thurles on Saturday. Day one of Royal Ascot. Three Group 1 races down for a decision, half to the start time there, a meeting at Roscommon at 10 to 5. In swimming at the Para World Championships in Madeira, Nicole Turner, Barry McClements and Amy Sheridan all in the pool for Ireland today. And we will have the US Open starting at Brookline on Thursday. Shane Larry has been put in a group with Live Rebels, Phil Mickelson, Louis Westhazen. Uh, Rory McElroy, freshman, is winning the Canadian Open, will play with Xander Schaffler and Hideki Matsuyama for the first two rounds. And Seamus Power will be in a group with uh, Zhou Hyung Kim and Mi Win Mu, Mi Min Woo Lee, even. If I can get it right, I got it right eventually. Um, but the interesting thing yesterday was the awkward nature of the Phil Mickelson press conferences when he was asked about the criticism that the live golfers have received from the 9 11 uh, victims and families, one of those groups. and. Uh, I haven't seen Phil Mickelson as uh, awkward in, a, in front of a camera in quite a long time. It was an uncomfortable watch and uh, that's what's happened when you uh, make the bet he's made with Live Golf and the Saudis. Is Phil going to appear in Virtual Insanity this week? He's not. He's not. There's not, there's not a hope. Uh, virtual Insanity, the selections have been made. The birdcage is uh, ready. The cloak is over the birdcage. Um, <laughs> we will um, bring the birdcage into studio tomorrow at about 8.35 and then we'll take the cloak off and reveal the... The, the winner of the US Open for 2022. It like, sounds like the steamiest segment that's ever going to happen on ODBA and I look forward to it. John Duggan, thanks for being folks. Ashley and Owen, cheers. Cheers, that's your sports news. There are so many idiots out there, so many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean a spoofer? He's a bullshit. Ah, no, Emma, come on, don't, don't be, no, I'm not, I'm not no. Ten to nine. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Now I'm delighted to welcome Tyrone goalkeeper Niall Morgan back to the show for a bit of a reflection on the season that was. Uh, Niall, good morning to you. Thanks, Millie, for taking the call. How are things? Uh, I suppose could be, could be better. Uh, obviously, disappointing uh, season, but uh, back to the club and stuff. So started with other feet as well. So. Yeah, interesting times ahead. <laughs> yeah, I saw saw you were lining out at, at number fifteen for Eden Dork last week. Yeah, well, sort of started in the full forward line, and then it wasn't working in there, so I went to midfield, and it wasn't working there, so I dropped the sweeper, so I could be in goals by, <laughs> by this weekend the way things are going. Uh, well, so what what happened uh, in the, the the throughout the game that uh, allowed you to keep being dropped back further and further and further? Uh, well, I, I sort of play a sweeper for the club whenever mm. we're ahead. Um, and try to shore up things in the back but um, the ball just wasn't coming in and then of course I started complaining so moved me out and then I realised I can't run anymore so I moved myself sort of further back in the sweeper and uh, we, we end up losing by five points but it happens um, so a, a stark welcome back it was What are we now? Is it eight, nine, ten days from the, the Armada defeat? It's obviously something that's still on the top of your mind, Niall, is it something generally after the end of a, a season that you take that defeat with you for a while and, and stew over it and try and take things from it for as long as possible? Yeah, I suppose, like, whenever you get beaten your your last game, like, the, the Derry game, I suppose, going back to it, was not easy to take, but at least, you know, you've got a, another chance in a few weeks' time, whereas 
after the Armada defeat and the way the seasons went and the shortened season, like you know, you're not going to have another championship game for nearly a full year, and um, so it be it's hard to to take. Um, not that we're any stranger to it, like we've been we've been put out early before, um, but like we have to look apart from the the really shortened season of twenty twenty, we have to look back to twenty fourteen for an exit as early as that. So it was very disappointing, and that defeat was by Armagh as well. So um, it was very disappointing to to go out like that. And um, I suppose it gives us plenty of time to mull over it and see what went wrong, and and see what we can do to to better ourselves for next year. Had you felt that you had righted the wrongs of the Derry game in between that and the Armagh game? Like, were you going in there with a real sense of confidence that Tyrone were going to be back in this fixture? Uh, absolutely. It was the same. Like, we didn't have a great league. We finished it off strongly with a win over Kerry and we sort of felt like that was us sort of going to come back and start hitting our peak again. We trained really well. Um right up until the Derry game and then we put in a, a real flat performance uh, with all credit to Derry like we we just didn't have the answers and we sort of felt like we trained really well between Derry and Armagh then and that uh, you know we were going to be able to iron things out and again it was a flat performance but the credit has to go to Armagh for, for making us play that way like there's been a couple of things that have been, I guess, mentioned as reasons for uh, Tyrone's exit early this year from the championship. I'm just very keen to get your take on them. Like one of them is obviously the the lads walking away from the panel this year. Did that have a an impact on on what happened this season? It did. Like at the start of the year, I was quite outspoken by saying that you know, yes, we, they, they would be missed, but at the end of the day, there's plenty of people to replace them, but. Like the lads that left all had huge experience and they were all pushing the starting 15 on and creating a better environment to train and stuff. And whenever you brought up a lot of sort of inexperienced players, they maybe were happy to do, like, I suppose in work terms, a line year where they sort of felt like, you know, they were they were in to get their experience in the first year and then push on from their second year. And it probably not held us back in training, but it just wasn't at the same intensity because of that because we were used to always being pushed on and if you didn't play, perform you lost your place whereas maybe there was a little bit of complacency set in this year that a group of lads knew that we were going to play Was there a common reason why a lot of them left? No they all actually had their own reasons like right. some of them were just coming to the end of their their time and felt like they, they had nothing more to give some of them were moving house some of them were getting ready to get married. Some of them wanted to travel and just like there's no fallout or anything as such. It was just every everybody was sort of coming to to that time and like it was lads that had served throne for a number of years. It wasn't that you know lads were there for two or three years and decided they've had enough. It was just boys had basically run their course and were ready to to try new things. So now you could actually feel it in training then that it, it wasn't the same intensity to, to the year prior. Like it, it wasn't up to probably the that standard that you would have set when you won the All-Ireland. Yeah, like you always feel like you're training your best, you know, but like whenever you reflect back on it, you probably realise that there was this, the small percentages that we were doing last year were probably missing a little bit. Um, and... 
like you obviously don't mean for it to happen and you don't go out and say oh we won the All-Ireland this year we're not going to try next year um, and it wasn't that we were looking back and saying oh we're the we're the best team in Ireland and we actually sort of spoke about maybe we weren't using the title enough in terms of we weren't imposing ourselves in games like whenever Dublin are All-Ireland champions or Kerry are All-Ireland champions and they, they come to play you know there's that aura about them that you know, they're, they're sort of mentally-wise, they're saying that you're not going to beat us because we're the best team in Ireland, whereas we didn't really have that sort of confidence about us. Um, and it maybe held us back from like imposing ourselves, as I say, and finishing out games and, and really beating teams. And it, it told, you know, come the championship. That's really interesting because I think that the uh, automatic analysis of any team after winning a trophy who doesn't manage to win that trophy again is that oh they got carried away with the, the notions of being champions of whatever competition it may be but it's really interesting to hear you say that it's it's the opposite of that that maybe the chest wasn't puffed out enough this year yeah definitely like and it's an inexperienced thing from from our part like we've obviously there wasn't any players in that team had won the all Ireland before obviously there's minors and under 21 medals there but like we we maybe just didn't use it to our advantage and, and nearly have teams coming, especially to Healy Park, and saying, like, this is our home ground. You're coming to the home of the All-Iron Champions and you're not getting out of here with anything today. And Whereas we nearly, um, I wouldn't say shade away, but we we didn't want to, it to look like we were arrogant or that we expected to win again. Um, and it probably went against us then in the end. Was there almost like a, I don't know, like a nervousness that you are actually the All-Ireland Champions and you didn't get the results at the start of the year that you would have liked and then you go into the league and probably not the, the results or performances that you would have been known to put in from the previous year. So does there a bit of, I don't know, as you said, complacency, nervousness all around the whole situation then? Yeah, I think like last year, obviously at the start of the year was the lockdown and like we had two or three months where we weren't together, and but we were all putting in a lot of work, you know, individually. When we arrived at training, we started off the year and we were flying fit. So we had a lot of time to work on the basics, whereas this year we went on our holiday and we didn't train at all beforehand. And we never caught up, like, um, and it was easy to see that. Like, we had, we tried to do a couple of running sessions and in Florida and Miami and we'd done a couple of gym sessions but it just wasn't the same like um, and you probably felt for a period at the start of the league like the work wasn't done in comparison to last year where we knew we were hitting the ground running and it just fed into the rest of the year because of the shortened season there wasn't really a time where you could do a catch-up block because it was just games coming thick and fast and like that's probably the biggest learning curve for us is that if you don't have the work done at the start of the year you're not going to be able to catch up at any point now Just when you mentioned the holiday there I know it was quite late because of Covid it was probably pushed out quite a bit I just often thought did, what did uh, Brian Dewar and Fergal Logan think of that did they think that the holiday was too late to be to be going away obviously you should go on the holiday enjoy it you know you win in All-Ireland but did they think it's too late now lads we're into the next year No like any time Throne ever get to an All-Ireland we uh, the holiday was always at the same time of year. It was you went straight after Christmas, and it was to suit the teachers basically because they couldn't get off school during the year. Um, 
Um, but like, just thinking back to 2018, like we had, you know, a bit of a bit of training behind us before we even went on holiday. Whereas this year, I think we had totally maybe three sessions done, and that was because after all Ireland last year, we still had ten club league games to play on the championship. So our club season didn't finish to the second week in December. So we didn't even have a chance really to, you know, have a bit of a break. And we were just straight back in, like, and then there's boys carrying knocks and stuff. And just, you know, like, it's, I suppose it's their excuses in a way, but we didn't deal with them well enough as, as a group. And it's big learning for us that going forward, if we were ever in the position again, we'd have to be doing things differently. You say that maybe you haven't really properly processed the end of the season just yet but from what you're saying there it sounds like you've already put your finger on exactly what happened this year I'd say all of your subconsciouses have touched on exactly what went wrong for Tyrone in 2022 Yeah I would be a deep enough thinker in terms of what is going wrong even whenever things are going right I'm trying to nearly pick holes and see where I can get better where we can get better and um, we, we haven't had an end of season meeting or anything and we because we were straight back into the clubs, but I think everybody's got a, the, the same general idea and, you know, nobody's blaming one person or saying that it was, you know, it all fell on one mistake or whatever. There was there was loads of things throughout the year that we we know we have to do better on going forward and say it's just a huge learning curve and it's not saying that we're going to come back next year and win all Ireland by no means, but we, we would expect to be coming back with with a stronger season next year. Uh, there's a lot of other things that we wanted to ask you about, Niall. I guess one of the really interesting themes this year, once again, has been the role of the goalkeeper. It's something we spoke about with you at the end of last season because your role is so significant in scoring for Tyrone to get them over the line in the key games in, in, in the All-Ireland series. It, this year felt like the conversation went to a whole other level. I'm not sure how much of it you were consuming, but certainly from Rory Began's point from play early in the league against yourselves, actually, wasn't it? Uh, on, on the first yeah. weekend of the league and obviously uh, Ethan Rafferty a couple of weeks ago getting two from play uh, against yourselves in that game as well. So uh, that conversation has been happening on one level level and then on the other end you have things you have questions about goalkeepers being caught off their line and obviously Mayo scored a long range goal themselves the other day uh, that conversation I presume you're very much in, in favour of the the, the, the uh, roving goalkeeper role and that people the detractors of that role possibly need to take a, a deeper look Is it, am I oversimplifying your opinion on that? Uh, no I think you've, you've basically got it spot on I think the important thing is the, the timing of when you do it and the, the goalkeeper themselves if they're if they're capable of doing it. Um, my biggest worry was I spoke to a couple of other goalkeepers about it whenever we we started playing that way was that you know club managers would just start telling the goalkeeper that we expect you to play like Niall's playing or Rory's playing or uh, Ethan now and even Orin Lynch is doing the same and it's like we've all had experience of playing outfield, maybe not so much for Rory but he's been he's been playing that role for Scottstown for years and I think the the important thing is that you know you're not getting caught, obviously, but it's it's the timing of the game whenever you go. And like I know Mayo got their long range goal yesterday, but the game was up, and Arne O'Neill was just trying to help out his team by getting forward and being an extra body. And um, yes, he was caught, but I don't think it really affected the result. I think the result was only going one way at that stage, anyway. Um, and like, what what do you see a stand in your goal at that stage of the game? And Mayo having an extra man back, so. It's a, 
I think it's all about timing and, and what you get involved in and why you get involved in it. And but if you're if you're being detrimental to the play or slowing things down, I don't think it's a, it's of any benefit. Whereas if you look at it, the way Ethan played against us, he was you know breaking tackles and carrying the ball out of defence, and like we're no stranger to Ethan playing midfield against us like in, in years gone by. So he, he's got more than enough of ability. Um, but we just need to make sure that the, the goalkeeping skills are, are still being kept and we, we don't lose track of the, the main job that we have at hand. And now I know it's uh, it's very early since you've been knocked out, but do you have any summer plans? It's probably earlier than, than even normal with the schedule being pushed so far forward. So obviously you're back into club, but do you have any plans now? Do you What are you doing with yourself? You probably don't know what you're at with uh, not having county training. I uh, will just straight back in the club and you're you're still out of the house training two or three times a week and your matches at the weekend and um have a holiday booked now for, for August but we were going that anyway because the county season would have been over. Um and whenever school finishes it'll just be family time and, and golf. So <laughs> There's, there's silver linings everywhere you look. <laughs> Just a couple of other questions, Niall. First of all, who's more likely to make it to an All Ireland final, Derry or Armagh? You've seen them both. <laughs> you, can't put, you, can't, <laughs> you can't be putting me on the spot like that. I think it would be, um, you know, with, with no disrespect to Clare, I think Derry um, will be will be looking to be beating them, um, and Armagh Galway will be a real tight game. Um, I'm not sure who will come out of it, and you know, like Clare had a serious upset with Roscommon there, so they might be fancy chances of Derry as well. And it's a it's a, it was definitely an interesting draw. Um, I would be I, li- I like the way Armagh play. I think the the kicking that they have and the work rate. Um, I think it'll be more suited to Croke Park than than sitting back. Um, we tried that for a number of years with Throne and. Croke Park saps all energy out of your system. Um, it's I know it's not that much bigger than than many pitches, but just the, the stadium in general seems to just sap your energy, and it's hard to play that game where you're you're getting forward and you're getting back every attack and every every time the other team get the ball. So it'll be interesting to see how Derry cope with that. But you know, like it's nearly another silver lining for for me personally to see how well Armagh and Derry have performed in the games after they beat us because I was sort of worried that it would be a one-off game and it would look really bad in us but they've showed that you know they're, they're two good sides and Derry going on to beat Monaghan and then Donegal it has to be one of the best Ulster title wins in, in long many a time like so um, it would be Tough to see another Ulster team going on and, and get the final or even win it, but you know I, I would much prefer to see Sam Mugar coming uh, up the country than, than going anywhere else. That, that's interesting on on Derry that uh, at that point about I guess Croke Park being a completely different universe to some of the other grounds for a multitude of different reasons. Do you think that if Derry are going to go all the way, that they need to tweak the game plan slightly in order to get over the line in some of those big games? It's it's going to be hard because like. To say we played that way with uh, with Throne for a number of years. Yeah. When we got to Croke Park, you know, Dublin and Kerry always seemed to find their way around it, and even Mayo as well. When we came up against them, um, so like Dublin, Kerry, Mayo are no strangers to playing against pack defenses and being patient and working their way around it. And um, so it'll just be 
it'll be interesting to see how it goes against one of them teams should, should they get get to play them I know now they're at the other side of the draw so the only time they'll, they'll get them is in a final and as everybody knows in a final anything can happen and Derry will maybe see it as a, as a one-off chance to, to really go for broke and you know every, against us everybody thought that we would eventually outdo them and they, they ran away with our game. Everybody thought Monaghan would eventually outdo them. They'd done the same. And everybody thought that Danny Gall would outdo them. And they'd done the same to them. So, look, it's um, it's going to be an interesting end of the championship, probably like that. And um, I don't know how much of it I'll be able to watch and, and stomach. But um, it's it's great to see Ulster teams still down at the top table, regardless of whether it's us or not. Just one last question for me anyway, Niall. Just on the other side of the draw... It kind of feels to me, maybe I'm stretching this, but it kind of feels to me as if Mayo were in a relatively similar position to you guys last year where they took a bit of a hockeying off Kerry in the league and now they go into a knockout game in Croke Park against Kerry in the championship with Kerry maybe coming in off uh, a relatively uh, straightforward Munster title. What can they learn from what you did to them last year in in order to overturn that result and, and get a big win and get themselves into the semi-final? It, it's, it's hard to probably point a finger exactly at what uh, they, they can do like but it's like we we sort of always say that the team that works hardest is going is going to win like and it, it can be as simple as that and we felt like last year we outworked every team and this year we didn't have the, the work done ourselves to be able to do that and we were outworked by Derry and we were outworked by our man that's why they beat us and um, because at county level, everybody's got the basic skills. It's just who's willing to, to really go that extra extra mile. And for Mayo to beat Kerry, they're going to have to do that because like this Kerry team, one to fifteen, is is definitely the best team in the country. Like, and they were the best team in the country last year, but we outworked them. And it's it's whether they're willing to go to the well or not to to get over the line. And that's the biggest question mark, I suppose, that sits over Kerry at the minute is is whether they're willing to to go that extra mile to to get the get the the All Ireland. And now, do you think coming through the Ulster Championship or the provincial that it's it's an advantage? Like I remember last year seeing these against Kerry, I thought that was something you really had on them that you had those tough games, and then when it came down to it, you really could could push on. You had that experience in the prior games when I don't think Kerry really had that. Is that something that whatever happens with Kerry Mayo and, and with Derry and say it is Derry Armagh, you know, they, do they have an upper hand in, in that way that they've had these really tough games? You know, they have to, you know, really fight for each result they've got when Kerry haven't really been tested. It remains to be seen, obviously, what happens now with Mayo. I'm sure there's going to be a lot different, but, you know, they haven't really had too many tough games. It, it can work for and against, I think, like, we always said it was hard whenever you were coming out of Ulster. Like Derry, Derry, for example, have beat us, Monaghan, Donegal, and one slip up and they're gone. Like Whereas like Kerry haven't got out of second gear like, and they've, they're now in an All-Ireland quarter-final. And I suppose it, it's frustrating for the likes of us having to always you know, be at the top of your game or you're, or you're knocked out. You have no chance of winning the provincial and I think that's where Maybe the provincials are, are losing a wee bit of heart, like because even Dublin as well, you know, they they countered the how many Leinster's in a row now, and it's it's crazy to think that they can work hard for the league and basically take 
five or six weeks. Like I was saying, we 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 couldn't get a catch up period, whereas like Dublin Mayo can train really hard for five or six weeks in preparation for a, a, an All Ireland quarter final. So it can be advantageous in terms of they should have the work done, but it's whether they have, um, as you say, been through them them tough times together, and whether they know the person beside them is really going to dig into them or not. Uh, Niall, it's been great chatting to you. Uh, thanks a million for being so generous with your time. Best of luck with the season with Eden Dork and, and with the golf game as well. Try and enjoy the summer as much as you can. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you. Cheers. Niall Morgan there on the line, of course. Uh, Tyrone All-Star, All-Ireland winning goalkeeper. Uh, OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Let's just tell you what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio throughout the day from one o'clock. We've got OTB Gold, which is Wexford 1956 with Ned Wheeler and Art Foley. The Dadcast coming your way at three o'clock and then a Michael Owen career retrospective from four o'clock. Joe in conversation with Ruby Walsh then from six and Off the Ball Live on your radio as ever from seven o'clock tonight. You can follow Off the Ball across all our social channels. You You can subscribe to our YouTube channel and you can download the OTB Sports app for the latest and best in sports content and analysis. We are back after these with Phil Egan live in studio looking ahead to tonight's Ireland's match. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 17 minutes past nine, you're very welcome back. It is a big day for the Republic of Ireland football because you've got the under-21s in action at half past four and of course the seniors in action at 7.45 tonight against Ukraine. It is against Italy at half four and Askely that the under-21s have qualification on the line. Phil Egan is with us in studio. Phil, how are you getting on? Very well, yeah, looking forward to a big day for, for Irish football. I also have the, the European draws coming up at 11. That's right. Hammock Rovers and Derry are, and are in there as well and and Sligo Pats will be tomorrow but um, yeah like the the prize on offer for the 21s is is huge and you think back to when they lost to Italy earlier in the campaign they'd obviously been beaten in Montenegro they'd dropped points in Luxembourg and it didn't look great but that injury time winner that Ollie O'Neill scored against Sweden like who knew at the time that it was such a big goal it was celebrated obviously because when you score an injury time it's always a big deal an injury time winner but how crucial it turned out to be. And then off the back of that, we went to Sweden and won and have got ourselves right back into it. And here we are with a chance to qualify for a first ever under-21 tournament. And even if we don't get the job done today, you know, there is the, the playoff to fall back onto. So a nice position to be into for Jim Crawford. It feels that like it's probably just a form thing and a momentum thing, mm. but it feels like the gap between these sides, between Ireland and Italy, is much smaller than the time it was at Tala. Yeah, and it was an interesting interview Tyreek Wright did after the game the other night where he basically was like, yeah, we can't wait for this. And that, that's what you want to hear from young players, that they're going to relish the challenge. Now, I'm not saying that Ireland have to go out with a need to win the game from the off because you can't win a game in the first 20 minutes. You can certainly lose it. And I actually mentioned the, the Montenegro game. That's a game that we lost in the first 10 minutes where conceded twice inside the opening 10 minutes and never recovered, pulled the goal back, but it was done. So I think it'll definitely be a day for for patience. And don't forget as well, Italy had their chance to qualify against Sweden and they blew it. I know they did us a favour by taking Sweden out of the equation, but the longer the game goes on, maybe the more twitchy Italy get, where we know that any win will do. Obviously, they only need a draw, but... 
they could find themselves in a position at the end of kick or at the end of the game going we had two chances to qualify automatically and we've blown them so I think it'll definitely be a fairly cautious approach and then let's see how it goes I mean say if Italy were to, to score then obviously that changes how, how we have to go about it but don't concede an early goal is what I'm imploring the team not to do it's kind of been spoken about so much the just the unbelievable array of talent that mm. they don't even have at their disposal during this campaign I guess the flip side of that is the talent that they do have and I mean maybe if they don't qualify for the championships this isn't even a conversation but if they do you'd like to think that maybe the likes of Evan Ferguson and Will Small won't stay in the squad for a little while longer and actually playing in a big tournament could be better than the senior call up that seems imminent for both of those men yeah, and I wonder as well, some of the players that are currently away with Stephen Kenny's squad that are eligible we'll back. to play, mm-hmm. would Stephen Kenny and Jim Crawford have a sit down and think, do you know what, a, a tournament would be exactly what this player needs. Now, I, I'm trying not to get ahead of ourselves because going to Italy and winning is a very tough task. So if, if it doesn't happen today, then it depends on who Ireland get in the playoffs but you mentioned the form the fact that they've won four games in a row they definitely will be confident that they can get the required result today but I think what we've seen and obviously when Stephen Kenny was in charge of the under 21 team there was a real buzz about the team because we saw some of the players you you think uh, obviously Sweden were in the last campaign as well and we went away there and we put in an unbelievable performance but we have also seen as good as the talent that we have coming through and we have good young players in our senior squad, how hard it is to transition from under-21 level to senior level. And it's more a case of what's happened at club level for these players. You think of that really exciting Stephen Kenny under-21 team with Troy Parrott, Adam Eda, Aaron Connolly. Those three players now, look, look at what has happened since they made the step up to the senior squad. Conley's had to get a move away, a loan move. Obviously, Troy Parrott's had a couple of loan moves. And Adam Eda, just as it looked like he was starting to get a, a foothold in the Norwich team in the Premier League, he picked up that unfortunate injury. But that's how difficult it is. All these talented young players we have, can they get the sufficient game time at the, the highest level, at club level? At the moment, it suggests the answer would be no. So... It's uh, it's a it's a tough one, and you, you kind of see it. it. It it spills into the senior team. You look at the the players that we have playing tonight in Ukraine uh, against Ukraine. That players are playing League One Championships. Some of them aren't even getting into their team, and that's why it can be very hard to pull out consistent performances. Yeah, I feel the timing of that needs to be right. Going from the twenty ones up up to the the senior squad. And it's a question that's been asked to Stephen Kenny in quite a few of the press conferences that I've been at, especially about Will Smallbone. If he's going to feature, will he Will he be called up? And he didn't say no. He just yeah. said, you know, we'll see how he gets on um, against in the against the Italy team, you know, how, how he goes against that. And then we'll see from there. So it, it wasn't a, a straight out no. You know, there, there's definitely yeah. a maybe in there. But yeah, I'm not sure. Is that what's right for him? Well, see, Will Smallbone was getting some first-team football with Southampton in the Premier League. Now, albeit he, he likes to play in a more central role, he was being played out on the, the right-hand side under Ralph Hasenhutl, but then he, he picked up that, that knee injury. So he is only just coming back. But, yeah, it is... Everyone just assumed when Stephen Kenny took over the senior job that he could just bring all these young players with him, but it's just not that easy. Like, you have to have a certain 
uh, aspect to your game to be able to cope at, at senior level in international football and it wasn't a case that Stephen Kenny could just say to some of the, the more senior pros that you know thanks very much good luck and now I've got a young crop coming through I'm just going to use them because look who's going to captain the team tonight it's going to be James McLean players like this Shane Duffy Seamus Coleman these have all been important players to help the young players come through so it's um, yeah it's such a challenge to know when is the right time to put players in in previous campaigns under previous managers we had more established senior players playing at a higher level that you could just bring in one or two young players and you know they'd have so much experience around them that they'd be able to bed in a bit more comfortably whereas now we, like, you're going to see it even even tonight we're going to have to make changes Stephen Kenny's going to have to make a raft of changes he made five on Saturday for the Scotland game but actually all five proved to be master strokes in terms of who scored goals who set up goals who performed well and he's going to have to do more of the same tonight and it, that, that's the challenge and I said some players you, you can see like young players the talent is there but you don't always get the consistency So Kenny's been talking about two systems in the build up yeah. to this game this week do you expect a reversion to the other system that we didn't see on Saturday tonight? Yeah like I, I think his hand will be forced in certain aspects of it he's obviously going to stick with three now Nathan Collins has done so well he's been one of the real um bright sparks of this 10-day period where you know you look at the the first two games where there was such disappointment after losing in Armenia and losing to Ukraine but Nathan Collins was was a positive and he, he performed well again on Saturday then there's talk of Daryl Lenehan coming in I wonder would he contemplate maybe playing Ryan Manning or Enda Stevens as part of a back three because James McLean is going to play as the left wing back so does he play a left-sided player on the left-hand side of that um, that back three. Then what does he do at right wing back? Alan Brown obviously scored. I wonder would he be tempted maybe to play Ogbené as a right wing back? Um, the midfield, can Josh Cullen play four games in ten days? It's a hell of an ask. I think he's so crucial for that role that he plays where he's the one that gets things going. If he's not there, do you put Malumbi in there? Has Jason Knight going to play in that role again? Jeff Hendrick was obviously left out for the, the game against Scotland. He came on. Connor Howrahan came on. I'm not sure I'm keen on the thoughts of, say, like a Malumbi and Howrahan-Hendrick midfield trio. I, I think when Ireland are at their best under Stephen Kenny, we have to play with energy. And that midfield wouldn't have as much energy in it for my liking. Yeah, they, like that's really... like. Do you see... In a situation like this, and I mean the situation being that like you've got a threadbare defence, yeah. that Kenny will eventually go back to a back four in case of emergency, and maybe even more than that, as as an actual method of of getting a, a foothold in in certain games. Possibly, and he talked about it in the build-up how you have to be able to adapt. But he, the two systems he mentioned, both require a back three, mm. and Ukraine could go with a back three tonight. They they differ as well. Sometimes they go 3-4-3. Three, three. They're missing a lot of players as well. Like, yeah, I know. and look, a lot was made of the, the team they played last week where it was labelled the Ukraine B team. But looking at that team, so they had four Kiev players, Dynamo Kiev players who played in the Champions League, I was going to say this season, but it's, it's now last season. 
the, a Dynamo Kiev team that were in the group stage with Benfica and Bayern and Barcelona. Jankov, who came on and, and scored the goal, albeit it was quite a fortunate goal, he was part of that uh, Dynamo team. Then you've got players from Shakhtar, you've a Real Madrid goalkeeper. The only players in their starting eleven last week that didn't play European football last season was an Everton player. Um, but he had obviously come from, from Kiev, uh, Mikalenko, and then a player from Dnipro. So all those players have experience of playing European football. We don't have that. Matt Doherty played Conference League. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't have players that play European football, which is key, obviously, in the... It's, it can be more similar to international football in terms of the, the way it's played. It's not, uh, it's, it's not like Premier League or Championship or League One. So whatever team Ukraine put out tonight, they're still going to be better than us. And Stephen Kenny is obviously getting hammered for what he said at the start of the campaign. It was like, we've got to be looking to win the group. He also did say, I mean, I could be realistic and say we're probably the third best team in the group behind Ukraine and Scotland but he he aimed high and he, he seems to be getting punished for, for aiming too high now um, but realistically I think if a positive result tonight is avoiding defeat in my eyes anyway And from an Irish perspective that Abafemi we're, we're not sure he's definitely not playing Yeah yeah, so like obviously the energy that he brought, the freshness, you know, he he was just so enjoyable to watch and yeah, he was just incredible. So we would have liked to seen him being able to get, you know, two consecutive performances and yeah, just what he offered. Big time. And, you know, obviously all the talk was about the goal, but I was more impressed with the assist for Parrot because that's something we hadn't really seen with his game. And, you know, he's getting his regular game time at Swansea, his confidence is up. So if he's not playing tonight then Stephen Kenny's got a problem. He doesn't have a player that can do what Abafemi did on Saturday where he could drop deep and pick a pass and also has the hold-up play back to goal and then the ability to smash one in from outside the box. Does he go to someone like Scott Hogan? Like, there's a lot to be said for having a specialised striker who's comfortable dropping back to goal, lay it off and then getting back into the box. That is not Ogbeni's game. Benny is all about running at you. Uh, he doesn't want to be playing with his back to goal. Troy Parrott doesn't necessarily want to be playing with his back to goal. So that's where it'll be interesting to see what team he goes with. But it, yeah, it would be a shame if Obafemi isn't playing. I, yeah, it sounded like he's not going to play, but I was we were doing our, our bulletins before the game on Saturday and basically saying John Egan isn't playing. So you can imagine my surprise when I saw the team sheet come out on Saturday. I was like, okay, I've... I've just been telling everyone a lie for the last 24 hours. Apologies for that. <laughs> the, the baby is definitely due now at this point. I think uh, it's, we're, we're not going to get uh, stung twice over that one. I like your shout and Benny at right wing back, actually. That could be something that we see over the next little while. Maybe we get um, to see uh, Ebisele as well. Absolutely. Phil, good stuff. Thanks a million. Thank you. Ashley, good stuff this morning. Thanks for being with us. OTBAM brought to you live each morning from Monday to Friday by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're going to be back tomorrow morning from half past seven where Johnny Ward's going to be with me in studio. We'll have all the reaction to tonight's game against Ukraine. We'll have Damien Delaney with us. We'll also have rugby chat with ex-Ireland international Gordon Darcy and much more besides. 